The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and I'm I jo- and I'm having a stroke as I am joined by my co-host, who is always the co-host every other week, Dan. <laughs> and I'm I'm relenting. I guess I guess it's correct, Tom. Dan's face as I made that every other week, <laughs> arguably. Almost certainly bad grammar joke again at him. It was just like this really isn't done. <laughs> You're just, this is, I think, the third episode you've started off the episode with this argument. So <laughs> you could say that this podcast should be called "Grammar Is Dead." <laughs> <laughs> well, that is the next podcast we're starting. Grammar is dead. So I guess I guess that's the announcement of that podcast. I'm sure there's a ton of crossover for that, right, Tom? Yeah, I was trying to think of another joke to add on to that, but I couldn't. So I will just say, speaking of podcasts, I mean, I just put out the, um, before recording this, what we're recording right now, the live stream for the end of January, where I actually went over the plans for the channel by the end of this year, which is, I don't want to retread, you know, already spoken ground too much here for those who watch that, but Basically, like right now, it feels like I'm, I am, and even you to a certain extent are burning out a little bit. We're a bit overworked, but at the same time, when I asked people inside the patron, all of the patrons, you know, what type of content do you want? There was a fierce pushback to not get rid of the audio only and that, and to keep the exclusive stuff coming and also to keep the videos coming. And it's like, well, all right. So the solution that I came up with too that could solve this, where the video people are happy, the podcast people are happy, and the quality and the release schedule, be- the quality becomes higher and the re- release schedule becomes more consistent, I think would be to record a large show that's two to three hours long every Wednesday, have it ev- edited over Thursday and released as an audio-only highly edited version, just like now, to like $4 tier patrons on Thursday, and then a video version of it on Thursday, unlisted to high-tier patrons. And then it comes out to everyone Friday. And then we have a dedicated video editor. Like, if you were to do one big show, it would just be like, let's go over the news first for an hour with Dan. Let's then transition into an interview. And then let's also put in, like, a leak or opinion piece at the end. You know, then send that whole show to an editor who on Saturday releases the highly edited, maybe with extra graphics and faster pacing, leak on Saturday, then maybe a edited shortened version of the interview on Sunday, and then maybe a smaller like other video on Monday, and then like an exclusive die shrink or an extended interview as a die shrink every Tuesday or Wednesday, and then just the cycle continues. Like that would be a way of scaling up the platform without reducing quality or eliminating what people want. And the reaction so far at least in the comments that I saw, was very positive. Like They're like, yeah, that would be ideal if there was one big show for everyone. And then it was sectioned off into the stuff we want, other people want as well. 
Yeah, and I was talking to you about that. I think I think that might be a good way going forward and um, kind of uh, making the podcast consistently the same thing every week. Because what you have right now, it's kind of almost two different podcasts that are just released under the same name where there's the news one every other week and then there's the interview one every other week. And depending on who the guest is, it can be more similar to a news type episode. Mm. But some interviews are really in-depth on like just a specific thing like AI. And I I think having almost just making that consistent weekly might, uh, the news aspect of it be consistent weekly might uh, make it a more consistent product every week. And yeah, I I think I like that. And like to be clear, right, what you might see is if there's a lot of news one week, well, the first hour and a half may be news and if it was like a like if it's hardware in box it's probably going to be half of the episode right yeah because that's going to be an interesting discussion that a lot of that appeals to a lot of people but you know like you said an ai developer comes on maybe we just cut out the best 15 minute section that applies to gaming then that becomes part of that and then we save the rest of it for like either like an exclusive die shrink for those really interested in these highly technical interviews and then like or we release the technical part as a separate piece of content on Sunday for just those people. And and again, and 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 this has been something I've been thinking about a lot over this month because there does need to be a solution. I can't continue to work like 60, 70, 80 hour weeks forever. Mm-hmm. And there will be times where I want to start working on other projects at the same time as well. So there needs to be some way of keep it's not about keeping everyone happy there needs to be a way to scale it up and i think one big show that's then sectioned off into pieces of content for specific parts of the fan base is a way of scaling it up i think that is the solution to how you scale this up if we can get more support and also just talking like from a logistical behind the scenes thing yes for me uh for me personally um having just having to commit like one to one and a half hours a week it's a lot easier to break out at like a one and a half hour time block than trying to figure out a, like a two and a half to three hour time block we do every other week. So I think that's, I, I think logistically it might make it a, a little bit better too. Well, and, I, and it's funny, I saw a couple of comments in the live chat uh, during the live stream about this and they said, so some people say that sounds like an enormous amount of work. Well, first of all, we would need a dedicated video editor and some type of producer or notes organizer as well. So yes, this would require effort. But what I think they don't realize is if we were to streamline it into this kind of assembly line of the content you guys want every week, like if we could make, it would basically turn this all into one big assembly line for all of it to come out every week instead of kind of just jumping all over the place. Like, I don't think you guys realize how much work it already is, right? Because I think they're like, oh, that would be all this extra. It's like, guys, I think actually it'd be just more distributed work amongst several people, less so than me being the bottleneck and Dan trying to find time, right? Because I don't think people realize there's like a day's worth of work for me putting together everything. And then there's two to three hours working on this. Even if it's like only a two-hour episode, there's the notes prep, and then we cut out some of it. And then all of that is done by Gerard for a few hours to make sure the sound quality is as high as we can get it, depending on the circumstances for the recording that day and removing parts of the conversations that dragged on too long, perhaps like right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> we will see. I think it's fine so far, but but like like I don't think people realize that every podcast is like 
if you combine it, well, if you combine you, you know, even if it's just me and Gerard's time, it's like two, three days of work per podcast. And then a day to three days of work, depending on how long the video is for a video every week. And then we also have Die Shrink and all this. So there needs to be a way to scale this up and make it more of an assembly line and less of a hodgepodge of just random stuff we're trying to throw out. With all of that said, you know, I, I, this, when this, it'll probably already be out by the time I get this out, actually. By the time this podcast comes out, I will probably have the new goals in the new Patreon tier, which I believe we're going to try to get into the thousands. Like we're almost to pass a thousand patrons now, which none of this, again, let us remember, this wasn't even a weekly podcast at first. It was like every one and a half to yeah. two to three weeks at first. Like, yeah, and and, now, and it was like an hour and a half, an hour to an hour and a half at first too. I think our second news episode was like an hour at most. Like, so... Like we really have scaled it up. So make no mistake though, going past a thousand patrons, the reason it's already become so much more is because of that. But getting to the next step will require your support. And so just remember that we've already, we did put out three die shrinks, by the way, in January. Uh, eventually the goal is to have an exclusive drop outside of the early ad-free versions of content that's already there for patrons, you know, every week as well, whether mm-hmm. it be a die shrink, hits and gems, flyover state, some extra project. Um, so remember that's there if you support us. And remember, if you support us, you can also submit reader mails like CJ Allred has. And he says, will I ever be content with my build? Will I ever know true happiness? Well, I'll, I'll do the first question and you answer the second question, Dan. <laughs> so Dan, Dan's giving Dan the one that's impossible to answer. But I mean, like, don't get, am I wrong? Like, I think like when we first built PCs, we were always looking for the next upgrade. But at the same time, to to defend ourselves here, our first PCs were when there were hard drives mm-hmm. and thread counts were increasing. So I think, and maybe I'm just, you know, you know, like an old man saying, oh, this new generation. But I do feel like there was a reason to always be looking for the next thing. Performance went up by like 50% per year on, on graphics cards. And SSDs were just coming out. I mean, wouldn't you agree that 10 years ago, there was a reason to be looking for some new upgrades more so than now? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I think up till last year, that's definitely true. This year is a, a bit different because I think it's just gotten some new interesting products that are starting to come out again. But, you know, they're too expensive to buy. Um, <laughs> I also yeah. think there's a heavy aspect of us always looking for new parts. It's like you're kind of like when you just get into it, you're really interested in the new space. So you're like, oh, constantly wanting to yeah, buy new stuff. When you, when you do your first PC, it's still such a new hobby to you that you're probably, there's more enthusiasm to just do more minor upgrades for fun. I mean, I remember scrolling around with even case fans mm-hmm. and like, like, remember I got, you remember in college, I got those Delta fans that could push like 150 cubic feet per minute or something and absolutely insane yeah. and sounded like a vacuum. But I did that so I could overclock or if I saw the temperature getting too high for an overclock, I'd turn a knob I put on the front of the case that turned it into gen engine mode. Mm-hmm. I remember. <laughs> like that was just for fun though, right? Yeah. I, I wouldn't recommend most people basically attach a jet engine for overclocking on their on their graphics card. No, it's just uh, you're new to it and it's fun. And also, I think um, a lot of people make a lot of mistakes in their first build. <laughs> that 
Yeah, so that's another reason you're probably... Mm -hmm. But you know, I don't know. Will you ever be uh, happy with your builds, man? I don't know. I hope so, but there's definitely... I mean, I feel pretty content right now having, you know, any graphics card with more than 8 gigabytes of RAM, as long as you're not trying to go to 4K or higher maxed out settings every time, having at least 8 cores... Yeah, I mean, I you know, obviously I have a pretty powerful editing rig with a Radeon 7 and a 16-core processor. So, yeah, I mean, I it's, you know, some people will say, well, I hope you're content. Your PC is way better than mine. But at the same time, it's like I do have a lot of people pushing on me to get like a 6800 XT because it is about twice as powerful as my graphics card. You know, the 6900 XT certainly is. And, you know, I have one here next to me, Dan, for review. <laughs> so actually, let me, let, me, let me pull this oh, up. Oh, yeah, let me see that big boy. All right, so I showed it on the live stream. So if anyone's like, why is it audio only? It's like, well, you just pull up the live stream and you'll see it too. Yeah, here it is, Dan. Oh, now, wow. This is a little ridiculous in size. I did say that in the live stream. Like, I'm starting to think they're getting duping. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, so I've got that here. I showed that off there. And I guess why I brought up the 6800 XT and showed it to Dan is it's just like, you know, but... If I were to get this, it's going to be because I discover it does some app for the that I use for the channel substantially better. It's not for gaming. I mean, I just got Resident Evil 2 as to kind of have a new game that I want to play on my PC that I know the 6800 X2 will run better. And it's like, yeah, I'm pretty happy, though. I told you before we started recording, I'm playing Resident Evil 2 on my Radeon 7 with 80% resolution scale. And the only thing I turned down was like God Rays mm-hmm. um, to like medium instead of ultra. That's it. 4K 100 frames per second. Like, yeah, so you know, you're already getting pretty satisfactory performance. I, it, you said that it's about two times, yeah. the 6800 XT is about 200, not 200, <laughs> two times stronger than your current graphics card. And I, well, the Radeon 7's around a 5700 XT, and yeah. this is about double that. So, yeah. So I, I think it's, it's probably like 80% or something, but I, I think that's where you start getting to a point where it would be worth considering upgrading depending on the price. So, yeah, will I ever be content with my build? Well, if you just got into this, I guess what we're saying is probably not <laughs> <laughs> because it's just so much fun when you first get into PC hardware. But I will say that at this point, I'm content to game with these graphics for a very long time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. And games just look so good now, anyways. It, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. All right. So let us move on to corrections and omissions. The mighty zealot writes in and says, regarding Horizon Zero Dawn's issues and broken Silicon 85. So I discussed this with a programming, a senior software engineer, Dan, which is, he says, thank you very much for asking about the current state of Horizon Zero Dawn. I didn't expect you to challenge my bit about pillar boxing that was added in the game's cutscenes on 21 Ultroid. So, so yeah, he, he highlighted some pretty big issues, and we were kind of talking about why games sometimes aren't optimized or have problems on different platforms. Apparently, Horizon Zero Dawn didn't really support 21 by 9 at first, and then for some reason in the cutscenes, the cutscenes weren't 21 by 9. They had, like, black bars on the side, despite being in-engine. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, it's just that my question was already long, I didn't want to push it, but there's a... 
He says, here's the thing though. I don't think it was a in. So the, the, what I said is a lot of times when you see weird things where it doesn't support a feature you'd think is obvious, like guys, Dark Souls 2 didn't allow you to go above 60 hertz. And it's because the physics were tied to the frame rate. Also, they were still broken at 60 hertz because that game was meant for 30 frames a second, which was just, yeah. that was a big problem. I could do a whole episode on the crap I had to deal with with that, by the way. I got shadow banned for fixing a mod, for fixing the game, Dan. That's what I, happened. I, I know, because um, your weapons would de- uh, deteriorate twice as fast at 60 frames per second because yeah. weapon um, durability was tied to the frame rate. <laughs> yeah, which was ridiculous. But like, so I said, there's a reason they usually have weird feature problems. So imagine if they allowed 120 hertz, by the way. Then they, they would break in like two hits. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, so, I mean, I remember that too in Dark Souls 2 is literally carrying duplicates of the exact same weapon sometimes so that... Oh yeah, because we, if you had like a low durability weapon, it was just... You, you, you could, have like literally just two fully upgraded katanas. Yeah, because you could not get through an area uh, with a low durability weapon at 60 frames per second. Yeah. But like, so I said, you know, there's usually some weird stuff in the engines. And if it's a console first game, that is why they have things like a weird 21 by nine support. However, he's correcting me because I was wrong, assuming that's what was going on with Ryzen, at least to the degree I said it could be because there was a mod that fixed it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, of course there was. But yeah. uh, And then he also goes on to Navi cards had trees just disappear after a patch. Oh, that's nice. There's just weren't trees in the game if you if you had Navi 21. <laughs> that's insane. But he also has a link to how to fix it for those interested. So yeah, I don't have much to add there, the Mighty Zealot. All I can say is when I talk about weird camera angles, why don't they support a certain FOV slider or frame rate? It is usually some stupid engine level problem that they don't support that. Like when Fallout 4 first came out, there were some times where like the physics would just go insane at 120 hertz, where I eventually just started <laughs> limiting the game to 90 hertz for the first year of playing it. Um, I could go on and on. I mean, there's a lot of games where if you turn up the FOB, things just glitch out. Um, but yeah, uh, apparently Horizon was not an example of this, okay. though, <laughs> is what he's saying. Um, and moving on to another corrections and omissions. Now, Dan, this one actually is a reader mail. What he actually sent this. Remember, Moore's Law is Dead has a P.O. box. So let me open this up here. Um, and he actually has a couple of pretty important corrections. So let me let me get just get right into this. Meaty corrections. He says, Tom, let me start off by saying that I enjoy your work. I listen to you because I consider you a standout YouTuber that does his research and is careful to make sure the information is solid and not being parroted everywhere prior to making content. You respect both the intelligence and time of your audience, and that is a rare, commendable thing to do in a cutthroat world of fighting for people's attention. I profess with all this because this is a dreaded correction mail, and I don't wish for you to think that this is just some fanboy angrily ranting at you because you said something they didn't like. I greatly appreciate your diligence and work. Yeah, so I wish every correction was this nicely worded, though. It's like, yeah, don't worry, man. We don't think you're an angry <laughs> fanboy after gushing on us for that. We thank you for listening to our content and being a fan. But he goes on. 
When Broken Silicon 75, you reply to a YouTube user's comment about Game Pass being self-sustaining and you being or not being self-sustaining, and you use the following two links to make your argument that Game Pass is not turning a profit. And I love that link in the description. Correct, those were the two links I used. And then it goes on, based on these articles, you made a comment that PlayStation's pulling in $20 billion a year, well, Xbox and Game Pass is doing under $3.5 billion. And, and I'm not going to read, it's multiple pages, but basically he summarizes that the link, and the link wasn't very clear about it, to be fair. Yeah. And he acknowledges a lot of these things weren't very clear, but that it was quarterly. So really, if you look at it, PlayStation's pulling at about double the revenue yearly than the entire Xbox division, including Games Pass. Um, and yeah, I mean, mistakes were made. That, that's correct. And it, and he did say he had some trouble finding extra proof, though, because it is not easy to find the revenue coming into the Xbox division. And actually, this is often misquoted in half of the articles. <laughs> but no, so we appreciate the correction. And he goes on to also say that this doesn't really change the overall point, which is worth highlighting as well. Like, so if, if if they say that Games Pass in the Xbox group is making up for their spending, what they're basically saying is they're not turning a profit, but they're not losing money as well. And so if Sony's making double the money per year, though, that's all profit basically because Sony's spending less per year based on what I've found. Wow. <laughs> so so the, you would say they're still making... You would say they're making a lot more profit, though, despite it being double the revenue. Yeah, and of course, it's hard to tell because these are all, I don't know if subsidiary is the correct term to use for this, but uh, they're all parts of a very, of very, very large corporations that have a million different revenue streams. Um, so it's hard to figure out exactly where all of the money comes from. You have to do a lot of digging to figure it out. Uh, I would assume. At least um, Microsoft is usually spending more considering the amount of studios they're acquiring. That's probably going to die down soon, though, I would assume, because they're at like 20 studios now. And I think that's way too big of a ship. And make no mistake that any stu- that with so many studios, there's going to be winners and losers. They And I'm sure they, they're aware of this ahead of time. They're like, yep, there will be. Some of these studios will not make good games and will be canceled. I think they're taking the approach of, well, if we get twice as many studios of PlayStation and they're pretty decently proven studios, at least most of them will be good. And if we have to kill a couple of them, whatever, but we have the money to do so. Yeah, and I would also say that uh, Sony's strategy usually seems to be buying... in. They usually buy more mature devs when they acquire a studio. Like, they just acquired... Um, oh, why can't... Resistance Insomniac. Uh, like last year, and Insomniac is a incredibly proven studio where Microsoft bought like Ninja Theory, which Ninja Theory has only made a few good games, and they were double A games at that. Yeah, and so like just to finish, I did highlight a few other parts of his reader mail just to round it out. He goes. Microsoft does not openly share the profitability of their individual Xbox or gaming segments, or if they do, it's so buried that I can't find it. Yeah, most people say they very sufficiently bury it, too. So we can't say for certain where they stand on profit compared to PlayStation. However, given Microsoft's recent spending spree on Studios, Compulsion, Denial, Ninja Theory, Obsidian, Playground... Undead Labs, Double Fine, and Bethesda, and their continued investment, he puts that in quotes, and Game Pass and xCloud, I think it is a safe bet to say that Xbox cannot possibly be running nearly the same profits as PlayStation with half the revenue and and less than half the console sales. So your overall pitch 
that PlayStation is killing it with their business model and Xbox is struggling to stay relevant while looking to the future is certainly not wrong. I mean, yeah, the way I would just put it is Xbox is definitely trying to find their footing and not turning much of a profit. Whereas there's an obvious reason Sony wants to keep the existing consoles as a new generation, standard expensive games without in-game advertising and microtransaction makes sense. Sony's making money, so they don't want to change the business model at all, right? Yeah. He says still stands. Um, it's just that the numbers you quote when making these are not what you claim to be. And in the end, it might make some people think your argument is fake or fraudulent, which bothers me because of how much I like doing research. Anyways, I greatly enjoy your content and hope all is well with you and Dan. Keep up the great work. Look forward to many more years of great content. If you ever do end up visiting, I redacted it. When the world isn't a Petri dish, I gladly offer you some true redacted hospitality of dinner and great conversation. Chris redacted last name. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, I thought, I mean, look, man, this is the type of well-researched stuff that, um, and by the way, he has a very interesting work background too. I'll be reaching out to him later to try to learn more. Um, to be honest, I would like him to maybe become the notes producer, <laughs> organizer, because how well written this was. This was like four pages long, but it wasn't, you'd say it's a page turner. Mm-hmm. It, it, there was no point where I was just like, yada, yada, yada. Like it was very well laid out. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to point out that I, your overall point still does stand, but it's not like it's a 10 to 1 thing. No, it's it's not right. And, and the other thing he said is the PS4's core count. He he, I'll just say that he definitely knows what it was. <laughs> and despite some articles quoting seven cores with one disabled, he says it's not. The PS4 just has eight full cores. One is still reserved to help with uh, background tasks. Mm-hmm. But that the overall point that the devs really could only use seven cores for games is correct. So yeah. the over again, he's like, look, the overall point still stands, but they didn't disable a core. So again, thank you, Chris, for that correction as well. <laughs> thank you for the very long uh, correction, Chris. But this is why we have corrections and omissions as an official section of the reader mail submissions channels. You know, like when we make a mistake, let us know. Just give us that. Give us some Southern hospitality while you're at it. <laughs> uh, it it's important to have people keeping you accountable too. If you actually do make a mistake, I, I think that's important. I'm just not finding that in the YouTube's comment sections anymore, guys. I'm sorry. I don't I don't see it. There's just too much to wade through. Yeah. I think we've dawdled around enough. Let us get to the stories of the week. Story number one. The specter of AMD's 6700 XT looms on Ampere. Over the past few weeks, more information about the 6700 XT has trickled out, and unlike most news over the past few weeks, it's mostly good news. In short, Moore's Law is Dead has leaked new information from a couple of key sources, the same ones that actually got Navi 21 performance exactly correct, by the way. That is to say, not saying it's 20% stronger than the 3090, nor saying it's somehow as strong as the 2080 Ti. These are the same sources, and they point to the 6700 XT potentially not just crushing the 3060, but maybe even matching or slightly exceeding the 3060 Ti. The 6700 XT is stated to have 12 gigabytes of GDR6 over a 192-bit bus, have 96 megabytes of infinity cache, and provide around 60% the performance of a 6900 XT while utilizing half the die size. 
Should AMD decide to launch the 6700 XT in decent numbers, they could nearly make two of these mid-range gaming cards for every Navi 21 card made. And based on what Tom has heard, it was me talking right now, <laughs> the profit margins would still be very good as long as they can sell them for over $350 or more. So there is reason to believe they would want to launch this soon. This news is slightly more optimistic than the estimates conveyed in the 6700 XT leak in December, although it is pretty much exactly what was stated in the initial leak in September. Additionally, Andreas Schilling has shared the official logo for the 6700 XT on Twitter and also conveys that AMD could launch this card whenever they want, which is again worth pointing out. I've always heard of the 6700 XT could be launched at the end of December if AMD really wanted to, but that there's just no reason to with how well Navi 21 selling. Um, so yes, that is my little write-up of kind of summarizing all of the recent leaks coming out around Navi 22 in the past month. What say you, Dan? Well, so the uh, it's supposed to be sometime in the first half of this year that it comes out, right? I, I would assume closer to yes. sooner rather than later, because if they can release it right now, I don't see why they wouldn't, unless they need to manufacture a lot or something, because... I, I mean, every day the thir- the 6700 XT isn't out is a day where 3060 and 3060 Ti's are being sold. So I think they should get it out if they can. Well, yeah, and even if like the 3060 is mostly reserved and it's volume for laptops, mm-hmm. better all the better. Then we'll take the mid range desktop market, right? Like, like I, I agree, and and you know, I remember conveying in some of my. My, my RDNA 2 leaks late last year that, as far as I could tell, in real-world testing and validation terms, that Navi 22 was done about a month after Navi 21 was done. And Navi 21 was launched in November. So I've always conveyed, they've had these samples to one degree or another in December. They could have done a very late December or a January launch. They just haven't. And and there's been real discussions recently like, well, shit, if people are buying 6,800 XTs for $800, we can't even keep these in store shelves. Why would we even release this? But I think when they see the 3070s selling for, which is what I conveyed in my 6,700 XT leak this January, when they see 3070s selling for 600 and 3060 Ti selling for over 500, they go, well, if we can make this, you know, within 10%, even 15% of a 3070, we can get away with getting almost the same profit margins as the bigger cards, and now we can make twice as many and capture market share. So I think there has been this hesitancy. Like I knew the professional cards were coming out late quarter two was always the plan or something. So I, I wouldn't say it was always going to be sooner, but I, I do think with what's happened now that I, I'm guessing it's going to be an April launch. Okay. That's what I guess. And I, I guess hopefully, given the uh depressing landscape of the market right now. Hopefully they don't try to do something like selling this for 450, Ugh. but I could see them trying to do that. I said that that they could try to because if it is stronger than the 3060 Ti, if it's within 10% of the 3070, why can't they sell it for 450? Yeah. It's close to a 3070, it has more RAM. Yeah, they could. And and that's what I would do too. I would push to 25 225 watts. That's how much energy the 5700X it was going to be a 180 watt card to 1 to 200. But but nah, screw it. Why not make it 225 watts, push this thing to like 2.5 gigahertz clocks, give it the fastest memory you can or 16 gigabit per second and really make this thing nip on the heels of a 3070. If you can do that, you can sell something that's half the die size for most of the price of Navi 21. Yeah, and sure the argument 
of the energy use uh, goes away a little bit, but who gives a shit if they're selling it for nearly the price of a 3060 And are you really going to notice? No, you're like not. Like 180 watt to 225 watt. It's an eight pin either way. Who cares? Yeah, that's true. Um, so I don't know. I, I The 6700 XT looks like it will be a very, very competitive card. But once again, it's always, 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 always about price that really makes uh, the discussions interesting at this point. Well, so the thing to remember, too, when it comes to this whole pricing debacle as of now, like, first of all, a lot of people are getting 6800 XTs. I just showed you one. They're possible (laughs) to get now. They just are about $200 more than they should be. And they're not going to go down until the early adopters stop desperately trying to get them. Um, So I don't think that's going to happen until the end of February. But once that happens and AMD plans to keep making reference cards, and as far as I'm aware, keep selling them for MSRP, although they might have to up it because of the tariffs, by the way. Um, You know, nonetheless, if they could, even if they could just make it so like the 6800 is like 650 and the 6800 XT is like 750 or something, you know, as long as they can keep doing that and keep them supplied, I do think supply will catch up to demand sooner than you think, just because these cards have intentionally, as far as I'm aware, at the hardware level, nerfed um mining performance so there's not as like they're not that much better at mining than rdna one cards and so there's not as much of a incentive for the price to stay high and so what i would be doing if i was amd is just trying to shore up supply of navi 21 preparing for as big of a navi 22 launch as possible by the way and then push the cards as hard as i can and try to just get them out right about when navi 21 supply is catching up with demand right about then and, and i think that's probably april I guess the timing, I don't know. April sounds possible. I guess the other question is how many people that would normally buy a 6700 XT for like 400 or 450, how many of those people are now going to like $600, $700 for a 6800 XT? I guess there's probably a decent amount if they can get like a 6800 for 580. I guess some of those people exist, but... I do feel like what's out right now largely serves a different market than people that would buy a 6700 XT. Well, you might be surprised, Dan, because (laughs) Seawolf writes in and he says, just an FYI, NVIDIA is winning. My friend and I have drunkenly bought five 3090s so far. Yeah, watch your drinking then, man. Says, I'm one down on him. I'll get my third when I can get a factory water block card. I'm not going down without a fight. <laughs> Might have to pay a stupid amount to win this battle. And and this reminds me of a lot of people in December. Specifically, I saw say, oh, I was waiting to try to get a 6800 XT for under 800, but I've given up. I can't get it. And so I just bought a 3090 because they're in stock for like 1800. And I'm like, so... So you so double the price was just always an option, and I, and I do think there's more people than you'd think that just want anything they can get, and bought a thirty sixty Ti as well for the same reasons. Actually, had a decent amount. I think it had like two hundred thousand at launch or something, mm-hmm. um, as far as I'm aware. And I, you know, so I do think there's a real incentive for AMD to start making a lot of Navi twenty twos that are overclocked to be as strong as possible because they can make two to one, right? Yeah, and if they can sell that for $450, they're probably going to... I don't know, I guess. They'll, yeah, they'll probably... They might make more money than what they're making on like the 6800 XT, at least. 
I mean, what I would do, I suppose, if I was AMD, and I want to be clear, what I want AMD to do is make these, because they, they, they can afford, even with a 45% uh, markup, the Lisa Sue tax, as we say, mm-hmm. even which, which for those who don't know, that was Lisa Sue literally said it in an earnings call. They want to move towards everything having at least forty five percent like profit margins eventually, and or markup, I should say, eventually. So that's the Lisa Sue tax. It's forty five percent added on top. Even with that, based on the bill materials I've been put together for this, I think they could make that at like three thirty. <laughs> So there's no reason they couldn't sell this for 350 and then have a 12 gigabyte version for 250. And if they did that, they would bury Nvidia. The problem is Nvidia is playing both sides of the market right now, and demand is out of control. So there's just no reason for them to not. If it, honestly, like, so I gave you what I know they can do, what I want them to do. I want them to sell it for 330 and 250 for the 6700 and the 6700 XT. But what I ultimately think they will end up doing, or at least what I would advise from a business perspective them do, is charge 450 for a 12 gigabyte version that's pushed as hard as possible to hopefully beat the 3060 Ti and have more memory, and then launch a 350 variant, again with 12 gigabytes, not with 10 or 6. They were considering cutting this down, um, but just give it 12 gigabytes. And look, the 12 gigabyte card cut down is probably still going to be stronger than the 3060. Well, it... Just sell for three fifty, and then at the end of the day, eh, it's a twelve gigabyte card for three fifty. That's that's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, they would have to. Uh, the the thirty sixty is three thirty, right? Or am I misremembering that? Uh, yeah, it is. So I, I think. Although I've heard you're not, it's not going to be the. Uh, I know. That's not what you're going to get on new guys. It's not going to be three thirty, by the way. But I, I think the if they wanted to sell like a cut down card for three fifty with twelve gigs of RAM, they. It would need to be stronger than the 3060 for that to look at all. It would be appealing. You know, I I think the 3060 is probably going to be around a 2070 super on desktop. I think I, I, again. So wait, they've said because I'm just trying to remember. From what I could tell, it looks like it's going to be about 30 percent better at most than the 2060. So what? So you add like 15 percent to make it a 2070. Yeah, so it should be about a 2070 super in performance mm-hmm. for 330. And from what I've heard, the cut-down variant of Navi 22 should be a bit stronger than a 5700 XT, or at least that's what's being compared to. So basically, it's cheaper than the MSRP of the 5700 XT with more memory for 350. 5700 XT right now is about almost 2080. So as long as they push it to be 5-10% stronger, they can get away with 350. Again, what I want them to do is 350 or 350 and like 279 or something. but. I have a feeling it's going to be 350 and 450. Uh, yeah, it, two, 280. They could surprise us, though, to be clear. Yeah, selling it for 280 and 350 is... I, it, they're leaving money on the table with the current market, though, is frankly the point. Yep. It. And I mean, I, I know, I guess... It's just, it is what it is. They are just leaving money on the table because people continue to just get a 3090 instead of a 6800 XT, Dan, I mean. Yeah, I, I guess... You can make the argument they kind of are leaving money on the table with the 6900 XT because I think they could probably have gotten probably away. Probably could have. They probably could have gotten away. Yeah, I don't think they could have gone for 1500 because it is a, a worse card than the 3090. But 1200, I think they maybe even 1300 they could have gotten away with. They could have probably gotten away with the MSRPs being 650, 750, and 1200. Yeah. Unless you guys stop buying it, that's what's just going to happen. Well, I think we should move on, though. So, 
Story number two. There are 28 variants of Ampere mobile cards, and they perform wildly different depending on the TDP. And additionally, NVIDIA doesn't want you to know which one you're buying. So quoting here from Notebook Check, NVIDIA announced the Ampere mobile lineup at CES 2021 and said that RTX 30 series mobile GPUs will bring third generation Mass-Q features such as Dynamic Boost 2.0 and Whisper Mode. 2.0. When we published our exclusive first benchmarks of RTX 30 Mobile, one pertinent question among many of our readers was whether these GPUs and pre-sample notebooks were Max-Q or Max-P. Even when OEMs announced their RTX 30 Mobile-based offerings at CES, the specs sheet didn't specifically mention the variants of the GPUs used as well. We now know the reason why. Almost every Turing Mobile GPU came in both Max-P and Max-Q versions, with the latter helping OEMs design thin and light laptops with better battery life. All that changes with Ampere Mobile. No longer will NVIDIA or OEMs mention whether a particular Ampere Mobile GPU is Max-Q or Max-P. In fact, NVIDIA tells us that every Ampere Mobile part can offer third-gen Max-Q features. So even if it's not built for that, they can do it if they want. A look at the official specs tells us how OEMs can possibly configure these GPUs. For instance, the flagship 3080 laptop GPU, and they put that in quotations because it's really a freaking 3070 with 13 gigabytes, guys, as, as NVIDIA would like to call it, offers a configurable TGP ranging from 80 watts to 150 watts plus. The 3070 Mobile offers an 80-watt to 125-watt range, while the 3060 Mobile can be tuned between 60 watts and 115. Let me just highlight here to jump in, guys, that I've seen the ranges and clock speeds. Like It ranges from the same speeds as desktop Ampere to like a gigahertz, to like 800 megahertz. Mm -hmm. So if they want, they can just call it a 3080 at literally half the clock speeds and less cores than the desktop 3080. These TGP ranges correspond to actual clocks. The 3080 Mobile, for example, can offer up to 37% increased clocks compared to, yeah, compared to the base 80-watt variant. What this means is that a 115-watt 3060 Mobile could potentially outperform an 80-watt 3080 Mobile, depending on the given workload based on our calculations. The lack of explicit power details in the laptop specs can potentially complicate matters for the end user more, too, who would generally assume that the mention of a 3080 Mobile automatically implies higher performance. And yeah, WCCF Tech, I added at the end here, is in another link, literally highlights that there are 28 variations and only like four cards. So Dan, what do you think about all of this? Um, I looked at the uh, WCCF tech list and it's pretty funny. There's just the, the range of like clock speeds on a, a given card is insane. The video cards link that you put there is also pretty funny. The MSI's Max P edition of their graphics card is weaker than their Max Q. I mean, is stronger than their Max Q edition in their, another laptop. I, I don't know why. Oh, so they're like literally selling two different laptops, but one that performs worse despite being billed as a higher end one. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what's going on, Tom. I, it, I, I don't know why NVIDIA feels the need to just have the worst marketing possible and the worst optics possible if you actually look in at what they're doing. Maybe they just think most people won't look at this, but. Well, most most people probably won't look at this, or at least not to this fine of a detail as yeah. we are. So buying a an Ampere graphics card laptop is just going to be objectively confusing. So I guess my, in short, my thoughts are, if you're looking for a laptop this year, 
make sure you do your research so you actually know the card that's being put into your laptop. Because for some reason, NVIDIA doesn't want you to know, and I don't know why. And, you know, I, I will plug Notebook Check. I think their laptop reviews are very, very good. Like, I used them when I bought my recent NV15. Um, which, yeah, let me, I'll just give a shout out even to the writer of this write-up. Because this is what I'm looking for. This is why I need a notes person to find the best versions of write-ups. So I don't end up using, like, the WCCF tech version where they repeat the same sentence three times. No offense, guys, but come on. Uh, but, yeah, no, what's his name? Vaidi Yanathan Sabramaniam. That's a very long first and second name. Usually I have a problem reading uh, Indian names, but yes, <laughs> he did a very good write-up and I do recommend Notebook Check. You know, for I used them when I checked out my NV15. And I mean, it was funny, even back then, they said that the due to the vapor chamber cooling and the almost PS5-like filling of a copper heat sink throughout the entire laptop, the HP NV15 6-core i7 outperformed the 8-core i9 in its com- competing Dell, the, the <laughs> Dell competition and the similar form factors showing, they're like, yeah, they used a cheaper processor, but they put that money towards better cooling and it allowed them to compete on the same level. Yeah, so I, I guess there it also needs to be highlighted that there's always going to be like these weird anomalies with laptops because thermals are such a bigger, uh, more big of a deal with laptops. So uh, doing due diligence is always good when you're ordering a, getting a new laptop. But um, I, I, I think Notebook Check seems to be one of the better. If you're looking for actual in-depth laptop reviews, they're definitely one of the better ones. Um, the amount of snark in that article, <laughs> I think, tells me that they're I think probably it's adequate. Be, yeah, I think that means they're probably going to be holding uh, Nvidia's feet to the flames when they were reviewing these laptops to actually get the correct information, like thermals, power usage out. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at why this is happening, it's because look, Nvidia is doing this for their investors. They need to make it look like this is the biggest release ever, even though if we're being honest, again, I don't think Ampere is any more of an increase really than Turing overall, guys. Like, it really isn't. You look at the 3090, which is a 350-watt carb that's about 40% better than the 280-watt Titan RTX or something. It's like, so really, it's 20% more efficient at best, you know? And like... And it's like when you look at that small of an efficiency gain, well, yeah. So, I mean, like, I bet it's literally almost exactly linear. So, 350 divided by 280, 25% increase in efficiency when you consider that it's, you know, 40% stronger for that much. Yeah. So, like, 25% gain in efficiency. Guys, there's no way around this. The laptop lineup's only going to be about 20 to 30% better than during, like, if that. And I mean, you look at the specs of some of these 3060s, these laptop, the most eye-rolling quotation marks ever, these laptop 3060s have 3,000 cores, so 20% less than the desktop 3060, and they're clocked lower. Okay, well, wait a second. Didn't we just talk about how like the 3060 is a 2070 Super? It's like, what's about 20 to 30% weaker than that? A, a, a 2060 desktop. And so it's, which is probably only about 20 to 30% better than the laptop version, the the thermally constrained version of the 2060. So yeah, there's no way around it. Like if you undervolted a Turing 2060 laptop, it might perform the same as a lot of Ampere 3060 laptops. I, I mean, just looking at the 3060, it wouldn't surprise me if at, at least some of the OEM models they release 
wouldn't surprise me if it's like half the power or like 60% of the power of a performance of a desktop, desktop 3060. Like it, it's so misleading. I, I know it is. And I, I just love how, what is the official billing? Like it's called like the 3060 laptop, right? <laughs> it's, yeah. But that's not the same as when you used to say 3060 M like, like, like with Kepler, they had this, the 680 M the M at the end to me always consistently denoted. It's a different card than what you put there. Like, no, this is our strongest card for laptop. But now that they put laptop edition, and they used to say that about the 2080 laptop edition, it it, it just literally means a different card now. It's not a, it's not the laptop edition. It's like literally 3080 is a different die. Yeah, and I think for two years, uh, they moved to a, or was it just one generation? Did they do the this same BS? With they did that with Pascal as well, they did? and I okay. think they, I don't think they did that with Maxwell though. With, starting with Pascal and then Turing, so there are four years where you generally knew what you were getting. If you got a laptop with, you know, that said 2080, it's like, no, it has the 2080 in there. It's just got to undervolt it. Yeah. So now if you get it, now you just don't know what you're getting with a laptop unless you really make sure you do your research. So make sure you do your research because when you're buying a 3080 laptop edition, who knows what the hell that means? Maybe that means you're getting something closer to a 3060 with 16 gigabytes or something. Right, yeah, you could be getting something that performs more like a desktop 2070, or if it's the over 150 watt version, it doesn't. the 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 3080 laptop edition actually has more cores than the 3070. It's the full die, unlike the 3070. Mm-hmm. So you could have a situation where like a 180 watt version of the 3080 laptop actually is in between the 3070 and a 3080. But you're not going to do that without using at least 180 watts. And then you could also have one of them, like you say, perform below a, a desktop 3060. Yeah, so I hate how hard it is to tell what they're selling you at this point. I don't know what else to add other than this is really stupid. And I, I don't, I really don't understand why they're doing, why they're changing their marketing like this. I think because they have to. They have to look good to investors. They don't want to admit that the strongest card you're getting is like... I mean, if we're being honest, they should have called the 3070... They should have called the 3080 laptop edition the 3070 Ti. Yeah, probably. You know, and just not hid when it's a Max-Q version. If they, if they would have yeah. just done that, it's fair. It has double the RAM of a 3070 and more cores. I think it's fair to call it a 3070 Ti. I do. Yeah, and if some of those laptops that come out are higher clocked, or close to the same clocks as a desktop. I don't know. Maybe you could get performance better than a 3070. So yeah, 3070 Ti is perfectly fair. But not when it's undervolted and yeah. Yeah. Chris Ridge, Chris, wait, oh man. Chris Ridge writes in and says, do you think NVIDIA have painted themselves into a corner with the power consumption of their latest graphics cards? Do you think the market will truly accept even higher power consumption in the future or is NVIDIA's only realistic way forward to increase performance while keeping power consumption the same? Surely there is a limit to what the market will accept for volume products or is the allure of a Halo product just too strong? Well, I personally, there's professional and database and server cards that are 400 watts. So that's the limit. Over 400, the thing becomes almost impossible to freaking cool. So I really think 400 watts is the limit. And I think if AMD can make, you know, which we'll get to it in another story today, 
the RDNA 3 cards, if they can make some 160 CU thing, as I discussed with my previous guest on Broken Silicon that uses 400 watts, if they can actually do that, and it actually crushes NVIDIA's top card in performance by a huge margin, screw it. You know, big old 400 watt cards, at least it gives people a reason to have a big desktop, right? Yeah. Um, and they can always like cut it down and make a 350 watt version or 300 watt version. But, it, but in practice, 300 watts is the practical limit to what becomes easily wielded in a, because like, the, the cooling requirements, because it, it's not just the dissipation of the heat. Eventually, you almost just start to get bottlenecked by the heat transfer values, right? When you're moving the heat literally from the dye to the heat sink, there's a huge bottle. I mean, one of my engineering projects was literally designing a plant, a heat sink around some new experimental version of plastic that can conduct, you know, heat, heat better than, well, plastic's really an insulator. So the fact that it can conduct heat at all was impressive. But, um, you know, so. Once you get over 300 watts, it's just a runaway effect of vastly more expensive board and cooling costs, which is what you've seen with Ampere, where they have slimmer profit margins on GA102, at least with the 3080, maybe not with the 3090. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. What were you going to say? Well, so I, I think I, I think it's a little funny phrasing it as painting themselves into a corner because it's it's like, I mean, I, they literally have, this is the architecture they're stuck with right now. But at a certain mm-hmm. point, they have to increase efficiency. Like you said, there's there's a runaway effect of dissipating the heat. There's also the fact that I would imagine there's just going to need to be insanely complex uh, heat sinks and cooling solutions that might just... Which there are. I mean, look at Ampere. Yeah. Well, that might, might if this effect keeps going off, uh, I would imagine oh, oh, that yeah. means uh, they would need louder fans. I would imagine that means that it eventually leads to them not being able to increase performance in laptops at all. So they would have to... Well, they, again, there will be 3060 laptops that will likely underperform my 2060 laptop. I remember yeah. talking to a source. I bought Turing without looking back because I was like, from what I'm hearing from sources, Ampere's not going to be any more efficient. And I was talking to him the other week, and he's like, oh, you're right. That Turing laptop's just as good as an Ampere lap. Some of the Ampere laptops now. But yeah, it, it, I think it's important. I know. Um, I think people sometimes kind of scroll past efficiency gains, but this is what <laughs> happens when you do, keep scrolling past efficiency gains is there is a runaway effect where gaining in efficiency is equally important over time to gains in performance because if you're not increasing the efficiency, you're just creating an, an unstable product. Yeah, and I think there'd be some people who are like, oh, why are you guys so... A lot recently, it's been, why are you guys obsessed with efficiency? I'm not. It's just Ampere's so bad in efficiency compared to previous gens. Like, we're not. We didn't care about efficiency most of the time, but that's because almost always the top card was 300 watts. And you see yeah. EVGA releasing a new BIOS for the 3080 that literally made it a 480-watt card. I mean, yeah, I, I, wait for a summer. You're going to have to do something with these. I know you say it's not a problem, but it's winter right now. It isn't a problem right now. It will be a problem and, in the summer. Yeah, like you say, w- people getting annoyed like talking about efficiency. I mean, let's just take that to the logical conclusion. Let's say you have two generations. It, it starts out at the top card is, I don't know, 200 watts or something. In two generations, if you get 50% performance increase without increases in efficiency, it's going to be using like 430 watts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like once you get and once you get to that much, you, it's like you guys understand. It's like you have two of your gaming PCs on at the same time in one spot. It's going to get very, very hot in that room 
no matter how well cooled it is. Yeah, and your 600-watt power supply that you probably have will not work with that. Oh, I have a 1,000. It's like, okay, but you do understand once you have a... You understand that like a 400-watt card, guys, will have amperage spikes that are similar, that are very high, and your overall system will be pushing that 1,000-watt power supply at a certain point. Yeah, so why do you care about efficiency? It's because (laughs) efficiency is just as important as performance over time. Now, sure, there can be one generation that's a little... You mean long-term in terms of being able to scale up performance? Yes, yes. Efficiency limits how much you can scale up performance. Yeah, especially in like laptops where efficiency is incredibly important. Is one-to-one. Yeah. Your efficiency increases, your performance increases that, Jen. Yeah. All right. Roofnik writes in and he says, Hey, Tom, your thoughts on the news that Intel and NVIDIA were working together to limit Ryzen 4000 and 5000 designs to ensure they would either not receive high-end NVIDIA GPUs, 4000, or be limited to minimal amounts of PCIe lanes. And the 5,000, if a high-end NVIDIA GPU is used to ensure Intel stays more competitive. This news came out of Poland, I think, which I did find the original link, and I actually did look into this um, because someone else sent this to me behind the scenes. And the OEM contact that I have says that as far as he's aware, and it is a major OEM, like some of the ones being mentioned here, says that this is highly unlikely to be true, that at the very least, he hasn't seen this firsthand. And while he wouldn't necessarily know everything about such a deal, that you got like you guys got to consider how much of you know using Intel and high-end laptops is just marketing because there are still most people who buy laptops still want to see an Intel sticker on it because they don't understand that AMD's stronger right now, especially in laptop. Yeah, and I don't want to add too much to like my opinion on if this is all true because I haven't looked into the story enough. But I don't know. You're starting to see AMD and more laptops uh, overall, and yes, it's pretty. And I think that's because the mindshare, like you say, is slowly turning over to viewing AMD as a premium company. So I don't know. I think a lot of it, it probably is just mindshare. I, I don't want to say anything about like the collusion because I really don't know, though. Yeah, and, that, and that's all I would say is I don't have enough. I don't, I don't have any um, conclusive evidence that there is this conclusion going on more so than just wanting to put an Intel sticker on it because that's what people buy still in the ultra high end laptop market. But that I get it could be true to a certain extent. I just wouldn't assume that that's all that's going on here and that everyone's bought off. Mm-hmm. At least I don't have that evidence. So it's a pretty huge allegation to make, to be honest. This <laughs> it's like an yeah. insanely huge allegation, you know. So, like, I, I can't say that. Um, but, anyways, moving on to story number three Moore's Law Z leaks testimonials from inside Intel on whether Alder Lake or ZDG2 will succeed. On the evening of January 28th, Tom released a comprehensive leak of Intel's 2021 products that seems to be flying under the radar so far. In short, morale is up inside of Intel due to a new CEO and a still technically supposedly working 10 nanometer node. And I put technically supposedly because they still need to launch Ice Lake X before you can fully believe it. Yeah. He says, but if they do, by midsummer, Intel will officially be launching 
a decent amount of volume of large 10 nanometer dies, proving the node works. And having a real 10 nanometer node for 2021 is a good thing too, because the sentiment regarding Rocket Lake is the exact opposite of that of the CEO. It sucks. Rocket Lake is comprehensively determined to be not very competitive. And with Intel employees literally telling me guys that they just are going to buy Zen 3 instead. So I, I see Rocket Lake as a stock gap through and through. Um, and thus Alder Lake is the real product this year that people should look for, for an indication on if Intel will come back by 2023, or if we will possibly need to wait till 2025. Truly, Alder Lake could, by all accounts, actually defeat Zen 3 in the consumer space. Although technically, a successful launch of a competitive ZDG2 graphics card in quarter three would actually be the most insane indication that Intel is almost back. Although, and that people need to stop doubting them. Although reports, as outlined in this video, from within the Z team, do not paint a good picture. Overall, there is a decent chance DDG2, a ZDG2, could end up just being a Vega Frontier-like release. Although it's basically 50-50 at this point. All right, Dan, what do you think about <laughs> all this Intel? This is a they. I worked on this all month, guys. If you're listening, make sure you don't miss that Intel video. Um, it, I know it's a long one, but it moves fast. It was days of editing to make it as short as possible. Um, I don't know. So there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot to, in the this write up. So I guess I'll just go down the list. Um, I don't know. I guess just to briefly say about the new CEO of Intel. Yeah, I could see why morale would be up due to him getting promoted. He's like a homegrown Intel person. He started. I think he like started working at Intel as a college student and he was like a research mm. technician there so that's pretty cool um and they do like him specifically it's not just because he's a new guy based on what i'm told yeah that so that's good hopefully the company starts being steered in a better direction than it has been for the past how old um, 10 years 15 years honestly yeah. I, I yeah we shouldn't pin all everything on the last ceo because things have clearly been going wrong there for a while 10 nanometer obviously needed to get uh up at manufacturing at some scale, if we ever want to see seven nanometer come out of Intel. Um, so, or like you're saying, why would you believe seven nanometer is ever going to work if you can't fix 10? Yeah. Like maybe they don't switch everything over to 10 nanometer because it's a shorter lived node. But I, at least Ice Lake X, and I'm assuming a consumer product other than Tiger, a consumer desktop line needs to come out at some point on 10 nanometer for it to have all ever be a viable platform, which I guess I don't know if it's going to happen at this point, but because a lot of they're, their- they're, No, they're officially transitioning their, a lot of their 14 nanometer fabs to 10. Yeah, uh, so I guess we'll probably get a generation or two on 10 nanometer to some extent. Alder Lake, I think, is what we've been talking about as the only real saving grace for Intel for a long time now. I, I, Rocket Lake doesn't look like it's going to be anything special, and it looks like the marketing for it's going to be awful. And finally, to DG2, I'm constantly skeptical of if an Intel graphics are ever going to come out, or Intel discrete graphics are ever going to come out, because I think we've been hearing about Z since like before you were even doing this channel, right? Yeah. Like I, I, I remember we were still playing Battlefield One the first time I heard about Z. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. I hope it comes out, and I think, um, I think you're right. If that comes out um, this year, and it's like 
a mid-range card with good performance, I mean, with good efficiency and at a decent price, I think that's a good indication for the company as a whole because that means they're still devoting resources to this experimental thing. So for me, the real question that I highlight in this video, which is titled, Can Intel Retaliate in 2021? That's really the question at this point, like, like, and to what degree? Because they're not going to beat AMD this year. Like, that's my point, right? But yeah. can they start swinging back at all? Because if they can start swinging back this year, I'm going to start to question... Like, because like Golden Go was one of the first giant was I would argue actually the first good giant leak from Moore's Law is Dead in late 2019, and that is about to come full circle. So I've been covering Intel for this long. It's been mostly bad news because they keep falling farther behind AMD. But if this thing I've been covering since 2019 can't live up to expectations, I'm going to start to go, well, I don't know. I don't think they're going to come back anytime soon then because 10 nanometer is supposedly pretty much fully working now. I don't know that it's as good as like the almost 100% yields of 14 nanometer, but I be, I've been told it might actually be above Skylake's early yields. Like, so it could be the like 70 to 80% now with smaller dyes. So if that's true, they need to prove it and they need to prove that they can still make great architectures. And that's why I think it all comes down to Golden Cove. I mean, because now that their node's working to a certain degree, they don't have an excuse. You know, once they get seven nanometer working, who cares? You know, AMD is going to be on three nanometer. They need to prove not only will they be on seven nanometer, you know, which I've heard is arguably maybe better than TSMC's five on paper. Again, mm-hmm. it doesn't exist now to say it's better. I think it's a little asinine. But, you know, if it is that good, it doesn't matter if they don't have a good architecture on that. And something I actually pointed out today in the comments to, to someone on YouTube is they're like, oh, and it's only the node that's making AMD win. And it's like, really? Because last time I remember, Zen Plus was more efficient than Coffee Lake. And that wasn't on seven nanometer, guys. Yeah, that was what that would have been. That fluffy, wasn't using right? chiplets either. Yeah, so <laughs> no, they made a monolithic architecture, uh, semi. It still used CCXs, mm-hmm. a somewhat monolithic architecture that is on a node that can't even clock as high as Intel's fourteen nanometer. And so, well, Intel may have had a ten percent performance lead, it used double the energy. So even on the same, you know, uh, somewhat equivalent node. Global Foundry's 12 nanometer instead of Intel's, you know, 14. Even on a somewhat equivalent node, AMD was vastly more efficient. This idea that it's just the node is bullshit. Intel's architectures are behind. They are behind people. And that's why Alder Lake is the first one I'm hearing about where it sounds like it might actually leapfrog AMD in architecture at some things. Not everything, but some things. Well, and, and they've barely... They've barely gotten past Skylake. Like, I I don't know what the argument for it. Yeah. It's just the node. Obviously, the deficiencies of Intel are being amplified by the fact that they're on a far worse node right now. But I think it's just they're being amplified. If they could magically shrink down um, Rocket Lake to... Well, they can with Tiger Lake, as we'll get to. Yeah, that's true. But uh, if they could just shrink it down, we... I don't know. We we'd have to see how well it would perform, but that doesn't exist. So we'll no. Oh, you're saying if they like. literally put Rocket Lake on seven nan- and seven P, which is the node Zen three uses. I mean, we'd probably be looking at something that performs maybe the same with having less cores. Like, yeah. it, it, are you so sure it'd be better? And remember that Cezanne's monolithic can may actually outperform desktop Zen three in gaming in some scenarios. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So. 
I, I think in a lot of ways, Intel is still operating on like a node from like 2016. I mean, I know it's gotten better over time, but not that much better. And yeah. I think Tiger Lake is an actually good, it's an actual good architecture that they've developed. And now sure, it's only really on four cores right now and it's only going to get to eight cores. But I think that shows that that argument immediately is wrong That because Tiger Lake is so much better than what they have right now. Yeah, I mean, like, I, 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 and again, right, I, I feel like now is when time runs out if Alder Lake isn't good because AMD is not, as I've said before, this used to be a meme on the channel, AMD's not sitting still. Like, they have Zen 3 now, and they might even have a Zen 3 Plus to compete with Alder Lake. If Alder Lake can't overall beat Zen 3 Plus, the stuff I'm hearing about Zen 4 is it could be a bigger leap, as I outlined in the video, from Zen 3 to Zen 4 could be a bigger leap than Zen 1 to Zen 2. Uh, Guys, Alder Lake needs to be very good to not be just completely thrown in the dustbin overnight when Zen 4 launches six months later. And the argument that, uh, well, it will be better than Zen 3. If Intel wants... How much? Yeah. But if Intel wants to remain in the market as a viable option, it has to be. Coming up with... Releasing a new architecture that's better than your competitor a year after it comes out isn't good. That's expected. (laughs) Right. Like, And that's what I said, too, about Rocket Lake is, look, at the end of the day... They were trying to launch Rocket Lake in quarter four last year, but really even that would have been too late. Rocket Lake should have, there should have not even been a comment like Rocket Lake should have launched mid last year to compete with Zen, like Zen 2, like Matisse too. Like it shouldn't, like this is so behind. And that's why Alder Lake needs to be good. And if it's not, then I'm going to say, so what? Now they have a decent note again and their architecture sucks. So I don't care what node they get to if they can't design something that can c- catch up to AMD. I don't want to see like what just happened. Raja was like showing some 3D stat graphics card that uses their own seven nanometers. It's like, oh, this fucking thing's coming out in 2023. Great. Ooh, look at this 3D stack thing Raja's holding that you'll never buy. Like stop holding up stuff we're never going to buy and prove you can actually make something. And from the sounds of it, the good news is, Dan's laughing because I'm getting heated. Um, like from the sounds of it, Alder Lake could be that good. What I have heard is it's being fast tracked. More resources are being put behind it to launch on time in quarter three. It could even launch during the summer, and that this thing could wipe the floor with a lot of the Zen three lineup. It's not intended to compete with the fifty nine fifty X. They see that as an HEDT chip, but mm-hmm. it it they I've heard that it could completely d- dominate the fifty nine hundred X at gaming and most tasks that aren't heavily, heavily multi-threaded. So if that's true, that is very good news. That tells you, okay, so so Intel's got something now that made up for the ground AMD's taken, or most of it. But yeah. again, you know, if it ends up just being worse at most things, oh, we're 5% better at gaming again, it's not going to be enough. I don't think that will be the case, though. Again, that was the point of that video, is the reason that I highlight Alder Lake so much, though, is that from the sounds of it, this is the thing that proves that Intel's back. And again, if Alder Lake's a failure, then when when are they coming back? Why would 20, I be excited about Meteor Lake, right? Like, I, then I then yeah, I say, well, 20, see you in 2025. <laughs> yeah. 2030? I don't know. It, it, that's the, the... Yeah, Alder Lake needs to be better than Zen 3. 
in a lot of aspects. Not like how Rocket Lake will be better than Zen 3 in 1080p 60fps gaming or whatever. Um, or 1080p gaming, I should say, in some games. It, it, it just doesn't matter. It's that That is a... Honestly, I think t- looking at 1080p gaming is a pointless thing to talk about at this point because everything does 1080p. It's a 60. disingenuous argument, right? There's no yeah. one t- speaking in good faith bringing up 1080p gaming. No one's buying $5,000 systems to game in 1080p and win by 2%. It's ridiculous. I, I, I'm sorry. That would be like if in two, in 2015 people were like touting benchmarks in 600p. Who gives well, a shit? Well, some websites still do that for CPU benchmarking. So I don't know. get me started on that dumb <laughs> shit. Uh, Deke writes in and says, Hey, Tom, in regards to your recent Z graphics video, how spicy do you think the 500 and under market may become? Well, I think really spicy if it was good, which I bring up this reader mail just to make sure we also highlight. Look, DG2 is targeting 3070 performance with 16 gigabytes of RAM, hopefully under 200 watts, and possibly sub 400. So, and, and and they're trying to get it above the 3070. But I only think that, as I've always said, it only matters if it launches on time. If it launches, if they actually launch this on quarter three and it's a real product for gamers, hey, look, a 180 watt 3070 with double the RAM and a lower price point with really good encoding and exporting and rendering capabilities. That sounds like a monumental success as a first try at competing in graphics. Let us remember that no one else can, and they've tried before, and they couldn't even compete in the low end successfully. Yeah, and I think to put it, say that is a monumental success is almost putting it lightly. I think, if they, again, if they do that, I go, oh, Intel's back, and you should stop underestimating them. Yeah, right? because Which that, they could. I again, I want to be clear, it sounds negative, but I'm just it's just like that's what it takes to really like prove people wrong is people are just betting against Intel. I mean, part of my video is like people used to brag about how the 9900K is 20%, 10% better than the 2700X with using more energy. And now you see Intel fanboys in the comments bragging that Rocket Lake could win by 4%. Like, is this where the goalposts have moved that it's impressive and Intel does one thing better by a couple percentage points or something? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, that's what it takes to impress you? That must mean you have low expectations for Intel. Well, if your only goal is the uh, is making the company you like uh, interpreting whatever they have as a win, then yeah, your goalpost is going to move. Your goalpost is going to move with the wind. It's, uh, right, but calling it crushing means they didn't expect it to do very well, in my opinion. If 4% is crushing, you're right. Well, maybe they're just fanboys, but it could also mean that they didn't even expect it to win at all. Well, their new architecture's top, uh, top skew has two fewer cores than their previous one. So yeah, even if you're a fanboy, I don't think your expectations should be high for Rocket Lake. But yeah, I mean, I guess, again, to summarize what, everything we've discussed here, yeah. Rocket Lake, not good. If you move on, though, to Alder Lake, that's the one that I would I would say, if you make me bet money, that's the one that I think could be very good and prove Intel's catching up again instead of losing ground every year. And Z could be a wild card that does the same. But from what I'm hearing, it's like 50-50 if the thing even comes out. So we're just get, or it comes out in a, a way that would affect the market meaningfully. I'll put it yeah. that way. Yeah, because um, what D, DG1 technically exists in the market, doesn't it? Yeah, now yeah, and it's now um if you have a special BIOS, you can use it apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it, I I think yeah, meaningfully affects the market. 
I feel like at a certain point, Intel, if it doesn't get released to the market and it doesn't meaningfully affect the market, I feel like Z is kind of dead outside of integrated at a certain point, though. There's only so long you can show off pretty pictures, yeah. Exactly. Uh, but I think we should move on here. Well, it's the holiday season, and you know what that means. Lots of travel for this holiday season, and hopefully for a more open 2021. I bought a studio laptop for mobile editing. And of course, well, it didn't come with an open license of Microsoft Office. And those can be very expensive, especially for the professional version. But luckily, I was able to get Microsoft Office Professional for a reasonable price from cdkoffers.com. Go to cdkoffers.com and use the promotional code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off an already cheap list price of Windows 10 Professional. Then all you do is click on your email account, go to user center and then my purchase orders to get the code just use this code with a normal download of windows 10 professional from microsoft's website all right links in the description uh story number four amd rdna3 based navi 31 gpu rumored to feature mcm design and improved ray tracing well, let's be clear this was rumored by me a year ago but moving on um I think this is DSO Gaming I'm quoting from. AMD has been quite successful with its chipless-based design, which the company has used in its recent Zen series of processors. Instead of building standard monolithic CPUs, AMD has been opting for a new type of configuration, utilizing chiplets, splitting up the I.O. die and various cores into different nodes that are then combined together. Now, there is some chatter on the web that AMD's upcoming flagship Navi 31 graphics processor might be the first GPU to use the MCM multi-chip approach and design, and this chiplet design is supposed to feature two 80 compute unit dies. This doesn't come as a surprise because AMD's already submitted a new patent for an MCM GPU chiplet design before. The leak comes from Twitter user Kepler L2, and according to him, AMD's next-gen Navi 31 will have this dual chiplet design. So again, uh, they repeat themselves a few times, I would argue here, Dan. <laughs> but um, this is why we need a producer to like find the best write-up. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, like you saw this floating around. Uh, yeah, I mean, I also found another patent I stumbled across a patent this week that was um, it was some type of uh, like chiplet design for ray tracing for accelerated ray tracing. So there's obviously a lot going on with chiplets and AMD graphics cards right now. So I would assume they're going to come to the market that RDNA 3 is going to feature chiplets in some way, shape or form. I mean, you've already been saying that for like a month for, for months now. <laughs> well, for like a year. Yeah. Uh, Dalmine Peterson writes in and says, do you have any more information on RDNA3's MCM approach outside of the existing rumors? I mean, I would just say you've got to go back and actually watch my content that leaked half of this stuff months <laughs> ago. First of all, is what I advise. But also, there's a very long RDNA3 rumors discussion in Broken Silicon 85 with a senior software engineer who was just on. And I think it was quite good. You know, he points out which I want to be clear, what I've leaked is that there is an enormous amount of evidence that RDNA 3 at the very least has an IO die based on a couple of sources, but that we shouldn't double down on how they're going to organize the overall architecture. Mm -hmm. So at least there's two dies, right? And so there should be at least an IO die and a GPU chip. And as I discussed with the senior software engineer in Broken Silicon 85, 
This is a huge deal if they accomplish this, though, for AMD, when you consider how much less money they need to spend in design costs. Because when you look at Turing or Ant, like, that had like, what, 10 different dies? There's like TU-100, TU-102, TU, like, like, there, actually, I don't think there was 100. I'm thinking of Pascal there. And there were like 10 versions of Pascal dies. Whereas, I mean, there was just Vega. (laughs) On desktop, that's it. They had one Vega die and like two or three Polaris dies. That's all AMD can afford. But if all you had to do is this, and this is the argument I make in the last Broken Silicon, if all you had to do is make a 192-bit IO die and a 384-bit IO die, and then you just made an 80-CU die and a 40-CU die, or even just 180 or or 164... Yeah. Yeah. Or like even like a 40 or 60 CU die that you could, I, I don't know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of different configurations. You could but you could with. basically design four dies total and just like you're doing now, but mix and match much more powerful uh, components. Mm-hmm. Whereas NVIDIA is forced to spend hundreds of millions designing all of these different dies. Because there's, there's going from the soft design to the hard design that's actually manufacturable is an enormous amount of work, guys. It takes hundreds of millions of dollars every generation to do this. Yeah. I mean, these are huge companies that I, I mean, l- like look at AMD, who is the smallest, their, their R&D budget. Which is why it would benefit them so much. They're, yeah, they're still in the billions every year, though, I think. like Yeah, yeah. these companies spend tons of money uh, doing R&D. And yeah, AMD has always had fewer, uh, has always had fewer dies. Like you said, like there's Vega, that's it. I think, that's it. What? Um, <laughs> I guess they had another one that was like, they, they did have a couple others that went into laptops as well, but. And then I'll just say RDNA 1, there was only two dies they released for that, correct? Or yeah, there may have been a third one used for something, but I think it was pretty much just two on desktop, yeah. Yeah, so imagine if they could release a full product, a product stack. Of so there was the HBM one that was used by Max. Oh, yeah, yeah. But Apple probably just paid for that themselves. There's so much goddamn money. But <laughs> but yeah, so all I'm, what I was trying to get at, though, is they could release a, like a stack of... or. However many cards you want, custom cards for OEMs with like two or three different dies, essentially. Yeah. And it's worth also highlighting, he he was worried about power usage, as we've already mentioned. Like, so wait, 280 CUs, even on five nanometer, you're not going to cut power usage in half, most likely. I mean, so what, you're making 500 watt cards? But it's like, well, no, not really. First of all, you can go to 400 because NVIDIA is already selling <laughs> a, a 100 using 400 watts in that configuration. So that exists. So that's already a market 400 watt cards. Not for gamers yet, but it, it's there. And that you could just use two ADCU dies, clock them a bit lower with the best yields, and then send that to the professional market. And then you could just disable eight compute units on both dies, the least efficient ones, and probably get this down to 350 to four, you know 380 watts. And if Ampere's making that, yeah, there's a reason to make a 350 watt card for the consumer space if it can crush NVIDIA in performance. Yeah, and all I would have to say, though, is if the... Flagship graphics is two eighty CU dies. Well, I hope, I hope efficiency almost doubles uh, generation over generation next time around. Because, like you said, just releasing uh, two seventy two CUs enabled would probably cut that issue out. But I guess he's positing that they'll have eighty compute units. I know this is super on early on into rumors about what RDNA three will be, though. So I'm sure this is going to 
change over the next six months. Obviously, that amount of modularity gives them a ton of space to do whatever they want. Right. And what I would what I would say to that is well is another thing I highlight in Broken Silicon 85 is that as far as I'm aware, they've been trying to get this working since I mean, even right when they started RDNA one development. It's yeah, just if sure. you think about it, they really haven't, you know, Infinity Cash came, you know, after getting these large, as they called it, game cash working on the IO die on Zen 2. <laughs> game cash really is kind of a dumb name. You know, they then brought that to RDNA 2. Having this cache for communicating with the IODI, it would make sense that it took RDNA 3 to get it working well. Because they've been playing around with prototypes that were trying to get this working for a while, guys. Yeah, it's just, sure. This is the first time that I think they think they've mastered everything they need to make this happen. Because it is not easy. They've been trying to do this for a while. Yeah, I, I would assume they've been researching GPU chiplet design since they've started putting chiplets into using CPUs, I mean, chiplets to make their CPUs. That would at least be my assumption. Yeah. Dr. Forbin writes in and says, I would bet my daughter's virginity, that's weird, weird. that the so-called Radeon RX 7900 XT will not be for sale this year. Um, You know, it's hard to say. I think as far as I can find looking things up here, AMD's trying to get it out this year. The way I would expect it to be is somewhat of a paper launch in December instead of a hard launch in November like this year. I think they're going to try to have something out. And again, those listening, it was a hard launch. Even if you couldn't get one, I'm sorry if you couldn't, but it was a hard launch. Um, like, I, 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 I don't know that I really expect it to launch in, re, you know, in high volume this year at all. I, I, I'm... I don't really expect that, so I'm not making any bets here. Yeah, I, I don't know. Timeline of late this year to March next year would be my guess. Yeah. Again, kind of going over the timeline for other things for those wondering, like Genoa, so Zen 4 server, I believe is supposed to paper launch at the end of this year. They will probably start producing that quarter three, though, right? Which is what I said in my wafer analysis. They're producing a lot of something on 5 nanometer mid this year, so it could even just be some Zen 4. Um, or maybe even some kind of a CDNA custom card. I'm not sure though. Um, or APU, but it's probably some of that's probably going to be Zen 4. And then consumer AM5 Zen 4 is, I believe, probably going to launch quarter two or something next year. So in there, I kind of expect RDNA 1 to launch, I mean, RDNA 3 to launch probably quarter one next year. That's kind of what I expect. Um, Doomberry writes in and says, hello, is NVIDIA going to have trouble competing with AMD in the next two years? Well, I mean, more than before, but (laughs) he he goes on, I'm asking this question mostly in regards to the process node, as I don't see NVIDIA switching to Samsung's 5 nanometer. In Broken Silicon 85, you mentioned that 5 nanometer would not be ready for GPUs anytime soon, but he's talking about Samsung's, Mm -hmm. but AMD doesn't have the same problem with TSMC's 5. I can definitely see NVIDIA releasing a Maxwell-like refresh of Ampere with fixed power consumption, but will that be enough? Last year, NVIDIA already had to make big compromises for peak performance. Is the future looking worse? It's hard to say yeah. at this point. I, I somewhat expect, you know, they bought up some capacity on TSMC's 5 nanometer already, for those wondering, by the way. They have. But we don't know if that's just for like some A, you know, what is it? What is it called? A100? We don't know if that's for some like, you know, L100 or Hopper 100 card that's for the professional market on TSMC. Um, 
Yeah, I would assume they plan to keep using Samsung for the next nodes. So, I, don't, I mean, there's also a Samsung 7 nanometer EUV, which is actually substantially better than their 8 nanometer, I think. So, it's hard to say, though. I mean, they're going to have to get the Samsung's 5 nanometer working at a certain point. It basically doesn't work at all right now, is my understanding. Um, but, you know, by 2022, maybe. It could work to the same by the end of 2022. So yeah, I mean, again, I've said openly, I think making some kind of an ampere refresh on eight nanometer again, that's 20% better, makes a ton of sense to launch late uh, quarter three this year. Yeah, but I, I think that would come out closer to, uh, or unless the node's not developed enough yet, but I think that would come out closer to like a, be more like a refresh type thing where it comes out like, uh, I don't know, six to eight months later or something that versus, uh, a full like gen upgrade. So I don't know. I mean, well, Dan, I, I think you'd need to call it a new gen because they need to give it more VRAM. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I mean, look, they want to call it the super series. They can be big old stupid again, but I, I think it would behoove them to just call it the 4000 series. Give yeah, it double the, the RAM and make it 20% stronger. That's what they did with Fermi. That was a new gen. Yeah, I, I, I'm talking about like a Fermi type two, Fermi two type upgrade, but that only came. Like I think it came six months after Fermi won. That was pretty fast. Um, yeah, and I think it would be smart for them to do that this time. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, that I, I agree because I, I think uh, Ampere, the 3000 series, is it, it's not too good. I mean, it's selling really well right now. I don't know how well those sales will sustain for, but the thing is, they're still competing with AMD even with this kind of bad architecture because AMD was kind of behind for a while. So <laughs> I think uh, the market, regardless, is just more competitive. I don't know who is clearly going to be on top by the end of next year, though. I mean, I guess if you were to phrase his question, is NVIDIA doomed to fall behind now? I, I'm not so sure about that, but it is a concern yeah. that has been raised a few times. Like if AMD does get RDNA 3 with chiplets on five or possibly six nanometer, by the way, out at the end of 2021, well, NVIDIA only has a 20% better generation, which, look, say what you will about what you expect about performance and stuff, but I, I do believe AMD, when they say RDNA 3 will be 50% more efficient again, which I, I expect then is at least 40% stronger, you know? So if, if that just crushes NVIDIA, which has been their goal, as I've said over and over the whole time, and AMD always said RDNA 2 is to mostly catch up, RDNA 3 is when we want to take the crown, you know? That is AMD's goal, and I'm sure NVIDIA is concerned. I, 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 I can't say that we uh, ring the alarms yet, but it, yeah, I, don't, I, I think they are doomed to put at least half or most of their lineup on Samsung for the foreseeable future, though. Yeah. You, you can't count out that they might put like part of the next Ampere refresh. It might be 30 or 40% better because they put it on TSMC. Yeah, and there's like, I, I don't know. There's a chance that this becomes a an exact repeat almost of like the Intel versus AMD thing with Zen, just Intel versus, I mean, AMD versus NVIDIA with RDNA. But in 2017, people would still thought Intel might pull through and they didn't. Um, so we'll see. I, I, I think there's indications that- And NVIDIA, it's not as bad comparatively. I mean, Zen 1 launched and was outrageously more efficient, double the cores. I do think it's premature, Dan. I know AMD likes to do that. They do do that, but I think it's premature to compare Ampere to like Skylake. Yeah, I know. I'm saying it could start, it, it, there's, it could go that way. I, 
I don't think it's gotten there yet, though, at all. Or, or, and it, it, I just doubt it would ever to the same degree, but probably not. It's, I think it's premature to worry about that yet. Yeah. Story number five Eight Core Tiger Lake, now called Tiger Lake H45, rumored to launch during summer. And kind of just doing a short summary of something that was posted on Reddit by, well, let me just get into it. A representative from XMG, a gaming laptop OEM, stated on Reddit that Tiger Lake 6 and 8 cores are expected to replace Comet Lake offerings by the end of the year in entirety and also launch near the end of quarter two. This will be around a full quarter after Saison launches, but could prove to offer better mobile gaming performance, ensuring AMD stays on their toes in the mobile space. Now, I kind of added this last minute. I almost just did five main stories today uh, for this episode, but I thought this was worth mentioning because Tiger Lake's actually something I did a lot of leaks about early last year and mm. talked about to a great degree and we've just been kind of quiet just because there hasn't been anything new outside of our own leaks. But now that we kind of have like, yeah, quarter two, so it's launching during the summer. And then also uh, the real new piece of news for me um, is the replacing Comet Lake. Yeah. And, and I don't, maybe I just wasn't paying attention. But you could probably assume it would, but yeah. And, and they're also releasing six cores. I don't know if I, I just wasn't yeah. paying attention, but to that aspect of it. But yeah, I don't know. It, it and and OEM like actually just talking about it openly. Uh yeah, Tiger Lake H45 is coming because I feel like we've been talking about Tiger Lake uh H for like 4 or 5 months now. I mean, yeah, there were some big rumors that it could they were going to try to push it up again like Rocket Lake into 2020 if they could, but that it's unlikely. They did get Tiger Lake, of course, H35, which is the high power version of the four core. And then, you mm -hmm. know, H, well, not H, just U. So 28 watts and lower out in quarter three of 2020. But yeah, uh, it was always kind of like, so where is the eight core? But now we have like official, it's coming out summer. And this is what, see, and just let me throw this out there. A lot of people have asked about like Razer laptops. I wouldn't touch anything Razer until they get 10 watt, I mean, 10 nanometer eight cores in there. I don't want anything common like in a, laptop that expensive in 2021 yeah yeah, yeah I mean. of course uh yeah if you can wait wait that's kind of always the advice for laptops though uh, but yeah tiger lake h45 is i feel like truly going to compete with what ryzen has to offer right now so um at the high end so yeah i'm excited for it to launch yeah and i guess just again in summary we've always kind of known there would be like eight core Tiger Lakes eventually. These should prove to be a bit like 5% higher IPC, if not more, than what's in Rocket Lake. And they should clock about 4.8 gigahertz with eight cores and laptops with graphics that are a third the execution units, but they'll clock higher as well. So I, I also just expect the integrated graphics to be close to what Ice Lake is, but not better. But it doesn't matter because these are meant to be paired with graphics cards anyway, you know, dedicated graphics cards anyway. So this should yeah. be the best gaming laptop processors. And now we know why they called the other one H35. That's just what they're doing. They're just H35, H45. And now we know when it comes out, which is summer. So I don't know, kind of exciting. Yeah. But moving on, Blokes writes in, and you can't see this, Dan, but is an attachment of a, a boat sailing will people sing Soon may the tendy man come due to stonks. 
So this is definitely a reference to GameStop, which I almost didn't make this a main story, but I felt like this people expect us to talk about it, so we might as well. Story number six, GameStop skeptics Citron and Melvin succumb to epic short squeeze. Melvin Capital and Citron Capital closed out their short positions on GameStop Corp as the firm succumbed to the stock's meteoric ascent recently. Melvin Capital closed its position after repositioning its portfolio, according to a spokesperson. Citron Capital's Andrew Left also said Wednesday that the firm covered the majority of its GameStop short bets at a loss of 100%. Jesus. In a YouTube video, the gaming retailer surged even higher in the U.S. pre-market trading after an Elon Musk tweet fanned the flames of the stock rally that has sent the company's market value beyond 10 billion short sellers have come under ferocious attacks as crowds of retail investors so just people like me and you guys pile into the least loved names on wall street the 50 most shorted companies on the russell 3000 index have surged on average 33 percent so far in 2021 with golden Goldman Sachs Corp's Inc. basket set for its best month since at least 2008. GameStop stock whipsawed after the Melvin Capital move was first reported by CNBC. The shares were up 66% at 2.45 as of 6.37. So this is kind of old stuff there. Um, so yeah, let me just stop there. I mean, I'm obviously just covering not only GameStop, but the epic short squeeze going on with as they say here, 50 or more companies as retail investors seem to just be having tons of fun now screwing over hedge funds, trying to short companies into the ground. Again, I talk, I'm talk. i trying to talk about this as long as we want or as little as we want. I just thought we had to because people kind of expect it because it's somewhat gaming related with GameStop. I don't know, Dan, what do you yeah. think about all of this? Well, obviously, you and I have talked about it off mic and you know, I have a, a lot of opinions on it. I don't I don't know how much we should talk about it because it is a bit tangential, but <laughs> uh, I think it's important to highlight like, you know, how actually what I, based on what I've read, how lazy some of these hedge funds have gotten with their investing strategies, where they just have been shorting companies over and over again uh, to shorting companies are like silver over and over again to just make easy money. So the, the assumption was this was just going to be another easy short. And so it comes out at a really billion. bad time for them too. Yeah. And then they lost what $10 billion total. I, I think between the two groups, they lost $10 billion. Yeah. So it's a lot. I, it's I a lot of bozos, like, Dan. I feel like what you're looking at now is a bunch of people that were constantly gaming the system and they knew what they were doing. And now that they're they're complaining when other people decided that they can also game the system. So I, I don't know what else to say about that. I think I think what happened is kind of funny. But if you currently are one of the people that's participated in the short squeeze, get out of your positions as soon as possible. This is not financial advice, though. This is not financial advice, but very good for you. I would sell immediately. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, the, the only... So I guess I have a couple of things to say. Number one is there's a lot of people saying, oh, the market's rigged because they stopped the selling. It's like, as far as I've been able to discern from Robinhood, for example, they only stopped, they halted trading because they, they legally had to. They didn't choose to because some billionaire told them to, is what I've heard. So this idea that it, the, this is just what happens when trading goes crazy with anything, guys. So... You won. And as far as I can tell, I know some of these hedge funds are going to try to do lawsuits. I'm going to be honest. 
I'm not a lawyer, but I don't think they're going to be successful at all. I think maybe they'll find one scapegoat to try to punish, to scare people. But the fact is you have to prove like coercion or, or, or like some kind of a collusion for market manipulation. These are just people on Reddit that saw someone else post and bought. There's no, there's nothing here. There's no case here for the almost anyone to be sued. I think where it's the short squeeze started from was like, yeah, these these hedge funds just the someone short just pointed it out. Companies over and over again. It would be really easy to make a lot of money by investing in this stock right now, and uh, hedge funds aren't super popular right now for some reason. <laughs> so. Yeah, I can't imagine why. Yeah, but no, yeah. So I guess the only other thing I would add to that too is like this happens all the time. Like, I mean, just watch the show Billions, by the way. Or I mean, I've watched documentaries where. There was a multi-level marketing company that wasn't profitable. Someone did an epic short squeeze. And then an old rival he had in Wall Street decided to boost the company to short squeeze him and screw him over. So yeah. So like this happens all the time. There's nothing illegal about short squeezing. Right. Yeah. So so these people crying foul about how this is market manipulation. No, you've been doing this market manipulation the whole time. You know exactly what happened. This was just a distributed short squeeze. Right. And the fact that it's distributed makes it, <laughs> it should scare a lot of these hedge funds. And I mean, one reason I really did want to bring it up, though, specifically with relations to gaming and gaming hardware is I've seen so many people, especially late last year and this month, talk about how, oh, everything's out of our control. Poor me. I just have to just accept growing prices and, you know, and, and and horrible practices by some game developers and hardware companies. And the answer is you don't. Yeah. You don't. Like if you put your there's multiple ways to vote. One of them is with your wallet. And guys, there's you can make things better. If you stop. If everyone just stops buying products that aren't worth the money, things will get better. If you don't support gaming companies that lie to their customers and ship broken games, that will stop happening. But if you reward practices with money, those practices continue. But I mean, this is making Wall Street really take a step back and go, oh, we might not be as bulletproof as we think. And people can just start taking money back from us in a entirely legal way. Yeah. And, and, and it's just important to highlight because the early narrative or, or some of the narratives being thrown around is that this proves that, it, like you said, this proves that the system is rigged. I, it proves it, the opposite. <laughs> you have a lot of people crying foul right now and that's why it looks like it. And But the fact of the matter is the people that did this short squeeze, they did win. Those two companies uh, hedge funds lost $10 billion. And I'm guessing they're going to keep doing it. I don't know how this is going to affect the integrity of the stock market uh, short term. Probably will <laughs> ring expect, some alarm yeah. bells. Yeah, But I mean, the, the the fact of the matter is, is there are alarm bells that need to be rung when a stock goes up a massive amount, they have to freeze it or goes down, I think, even a massive amount. They have to freeze it because that's, it rings alarm bells that it's market... Yeah. Yeah, because that looks like market manipulation. And I mean, again, the last thing I will just say is this just kind of ties in with something I've wanted to say, which there is this phrase, you know, keep your powder dry. 
And that's, you know, it's an old revolutionary war term, of course, but it's just this idea of like, save your energy for the fights that are worth fighting. And there's a lot of people that waste all their energy screaming at each other online because they put a, a woman on the cover of a game or because they couldn't get a hold of an AMD graphics card, despite being manufactured more than previous launches, or the PS5, despite the PS5 being produced two to one to what the PS4 was produced. The PS4 sold crazy well, guys. You know, like, Mm -hmm. stop yelling at things that isn't out of malice towards you, and save your energy for the companies that actually are making broken games, for the companies that actually are manipulating the market. You know, like, Stop complaining about market manipulation and just, and that's why I say this, keep your powder dry. Stop complaining about market manipulation. You just screwed over $10 billion. You just screwed over these hedge funds overnight. You can affect things. Just stop wasting your energy on the wrong arguments and the wrong fights. Yeah. All right. Laws writes in and says, why do we have so many games, especially new IPs broken at launch? Sure, a perfect tie-in here. Surely, after a few examples, companies should learn how to take how long it takes to finish a game. Is it more profitable for them to focus on features and marketing as opposed to bug fixing? Well, to a certain degree, the answer yes. is yes. Um, or are we simply remembering a few controversial broken launches more than the games that just work? I mean, I, I think that question is not as interesting as just answering the other one. It's like, again, if you reward companies that lie, mislead you, and sell a broken game. They will do it again. If you reward yeah. companies that make games that work on release and stop complaining about a game just for like having a setting you didn't like, which isn't worth your effort. Some people liked it. Some people didn't. Then the industry will get better. But there's just a lot of people screaming at the wrong things right now. That's what, all it is. Yeah, and I think we've seen... Once again, we've beaten this horse to death and we're beating it over. We're now beating its tombstone. But uh, yeah, like Cyberpunk sold 8 million copies day one. So I I don't know how many people returned that game, but a lot of people didn't. So yeah, that clearly uh, advertising features and doing marketing, clearly that pays off more in some circumstances than fixing bugs. And the only way that stops is if people don't buy games when they are released broken. Or you cannot do that and the industry will keep getting worse, but maybe you'll feel better about yourself. <laughs> Hopefully, hope it's worth it. All right, so that's the remainder of the main stories, Dan. We are now on to what is called the final wrap-up. I've just got a bunch of articles here. I guess before I ask you specifically, I'll go through a couple that I wanted to mention. Uh, An honorable mention, because we forgot to mention it in episode 83 in that wrap-up, is that Intel has halted uh, the production of Optane SSDs, which is so funny because that I'm really kicking myself for not bringing this up at the end of Broken Silicon 83, because that was like, yeah, it was 84, my mistake. It was right after the guest episode where we talked about Optane and how it makes no sense (laughs) in SSDs, and it was only done to have a high-volume product, you know? So that's that's kind of fascinating that that actually happened right after that episode. But we want to make sure that's out there. It's like, well, there it is. Intel is moving Optane over for DDR sticks and eventually for CXL, right? That's the ultimate goal is to use CXL, which is something somewhat in between NVMe and DDR. Okay. It allows high-capacity transfers of storage. Um, 
In some ways, I've heard it's even better than like uh, DDR dims, actually. But uh, so, yep, that's what Optane's destined for. And it was always sold in SSDs to just have a product to sell. And weren't they sold? If you, and if you feel like you were duped, though. Keep in mind, Intel was selling those for about fifty percent of what it cost to make them. Weren't they sold in like uh, in uh, SATA SSDs as well? Uh, or, yes. Or no? Yes. Okay. I, I I don't know. That was always a dumb technology. Well, not a dumb technology. Well, they were like, well, there's still a, dumb a latency bonus, you know. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't make any well, sense. Hopefully, Optane finds a better new home as something that it makes sense for. <laughs> um, also, there's this thing. We've got a reader mail here. So, Fire Squatch writes and it says, "Hi, Tom. I just subscribed." Well, thank you for joining us, and I'm really excited to be here. I was wondering if you have any information on the AMD-Samsung partnership to produce GPUs for Samsung phones. What kind of architecture are these based off of? Well, as far as I've heard, it's like an RDNA 1 base. And what kinds of other applications could they be used for in the future? Any thoughts would be great. Love supporting the channel. Keep it up. Well, thank you for your support. Yeah, I mean, this isn't something I've dug into heavily, but my understanding is they're using RDNA 1 for some of the ARM core-based Samsung. APUs for phones. Um, did you look into this at all, Dan? Um, I did a little bit. I don't think there's really too much to say now. They, we just know there's a partnership where the GPU on their SO, on their phone SOCs is going to be. I, I don't even know if they said it's not RDNA two. You're probably right that it's RDNA one. That's what my memory but is, but it could be wrong. It just says it's an RDNA based GPU. Yeah. So, which it's um, going to be its own flavor, anyways. Again, like I say about the consoles, yeah, they're not. Course just RDNA 2 or 3, they have all these different feature sets. Yeah, so I mean, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. I think that's their first time not on... I, I looked into it like not on ARM for like years Ar and years. ARM-based graphics, you mean? ARM-based graphics, yeah, for years and years. I, I think they're still using an ARM CPU. CPU yeah. But yeah. I mean, there's not much to say except that, I mean, there is no reason why you can't start putting AMD graphics into phones uh, and in, into a Switch 2, you know, even if it stayed with an ARM CPU instead of uh, going to x86, which it probably would. Um, you know, I, it, I don't know. This is this AMD has a lot of IP across all different types of products. This just makes a lot of sense. It's really all I have to say. Also, we have in the wrap-up here, it, there was an article out, Dan, DG1 doesn't work without a motherboard with a special BIOS. I actually mentioned that. or Actually, I cut that out of hmm. uh, my Intel video just because I want, it flowed better without it. I didn't want to disrupt one of the points I was making. But, I mean, my argument is a special BIOS is required to use DG1 graphics cards right now because they don't want people testing it. They want it in OEM systems, and they don't yeah. see it as something that's meant for anything else. Uh, yeah, I don't see how too much more to add to that other than, I don't know, <laughs> DG1 is, was a, a bit of a failure, I guess. But uh, uh, it made it into some systems. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, uh, also, uh, honorable mention as well, Saison is now official. I mean, in the past two weeks, technically, it feels like we've known everything about Saison for months, but it is worth mentioning Saison is officially announced, though, by AMD. Yeah, that that was at a press conference, right? Yeah. Or, so, I don't know. It, it's kind of funny, like, um, <laughs> just all of these things that we've been talking about for, like, months now, 
they're finally coming out. And to an extent, it's almost not even that big of a deal because it's like, yep, we we knew what this was. All right, so let me fly yeah. through a couple of these. RTX 3080 Ti, 20 gigabyte leaked, like 2% weaker than the 3090. Doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, the, the thing is the 3080 Ti will launch when NVIDIA can keep up with demand. Uh, it's kind of how I see it. I don't see that kind of happening anytime soon. But if they want to, they can launch it, guys. And yeah, it's, 3090 is like 11% stronger than the 3080. Anything in between there is going to be real close to the 3090. <laughs> um, and also we have a story about a 30. 90 modded to work with a laptop through an M.2 slot and a reader mail about it. So Josh Law writes in and says, I recently saw a Linus Tech Tips video featuring a GPU that can be installed via M.2. If NVIDIA or AMD so desired, do you think that they could also make M.2 form factor graphics cards to be used in laptops? What do you think the logistics of creating a standardized product around that would look like, such as supply chains, margins, power delivery, and cooling in actual systems? And do you think it could possibly give other GPU manufacturers an inlet into the laptop GPU space. I apologize if this is getting long-winded, but if this idea was expanded upon, do you think it could allow the idea of upgrading laptops to be nearly as robust as desktops? I think the short answer is yes. The only problem is uh, looking at the modded 3090, I mean the modded laptop that they plugged a 3090 into, I think the uh, reduced number of lanes they had caused it to only get, well, and I guess the testing, the test rig also had better components that they were comparing it against. But it got, I think it performed about as well as a, a little worse than a 3080, actually, though. So, well, I mean, it depending, I don't, re, I didn't watch the video, but the M.2 is either going to support four lanes or two lanes. So it's running at like a fourth of bandwidth, at least. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so but if you were to make an M.2 card, that shouldn't be an issue. I mean, if it's that small, it probably, you know, they're not going to, what I'm saying is they're not shrinking a 3090 into an M.2 slot in a laptop. But, yeah, and and that's the one thing you got to think about is what cards could you even fit on a form factor that small? But definitely an MX250 sized card, 350 sized card. And I bet you could get up to something maybe just smaller than like a, I don't know, what's in the 1650 Ti. You know, so you could make, yeah, that, yeah. you could probably get up to about 150 millimeters squared to 200. You could probably make something about as big as Navi 23 or slightly smaller, as long as you could fit the RAM chips on there. So, I mean, yeah, there would be room if AMD wanted to, to make like a Navi 24 that instead of, again, right, Navi 23 is 32 compute units. And I believe it's going to have a very limited amount of an infinity cache, if not none. It actually is a smaller die size than the 5700 XT and should be about as strong as 5700 probably. So that's a pretty cool card, I think, if it pans out. probably eh, It's probably around a 5600 XT in performance. But if they made like a, I don't know, right? You could probably make a 24 compute unit graphics card that has a one a 64-bit bus with 4 gigabytes of GDR6. Like you could make that and you could cater to a, the problem is how much energy does NVMe supply? Oh, that. And the other issue I had is the thermals might become an issue. Like, I don't know how you adapt an NVMe drive to be able to have a heat sink on it. A, a good enough Yeah, so this is, the, this is the biggest limit. Uh, 10 watts is the most. And typically it's more like five to Ooh. six. So yeah, that... It, so like, but, but so let's be clear. What do I think they could do if they really, really wanted to? 
I think you could squeeze some version of an MX350 in there, to be clear. And I think what you're looking at is probably, <clears throat> if AMD were to do this, what you'd want, I think, is indeed, I think you, <laughs> I think what you'd want to do is you'd want like a 24 compute unit, 64 bit with one, one module of GDR6 on it. And you'd want to clock it low enough that it uses five watt to 10 watts. And it'd probably perform about as well as their APUs. But the fact that you can upgrade it would be an interesting. And, and look, times four PCIe lanes, certainly not going to bottleneck something that's about as strong as Saison, anyways. It is an interesting that's idea, true. though. Because what you could eventually do, though, is upgrade to a five nanometer version or something. I don't know. It's very interesting, this idea. Honestly, what I would say is I would hope that eventually they have an NVMe 5.0 that can support 20 watts. Doing that would massively open up, you know, I don't I don't worry about the size that much, Dan, actually. Like, you can put a small heat sink on there. They already do. I, I guess also if they had a, I don't know, like a heat sink that slotted into the rest of the like heat dissipation system of the system uh, of the laptop itself that might work as well i don't know if that's possible but well what you'd probably want to do is have an m.2 slot in the laptop that yeah that just is you know leaves a solid few millimeters extra for the graphics card to have a heat sink built on and most of these graphics cards would have to not have a fan on them but what you would do is when you close the chassis there's a fan on the bottom of the laptop Oh yeah, that would, that would. That's I mean, I, I guess we're it. talking about dissipating ten watts of heat, so that would probably be good enough. Oh, that'd certainly be good enough. And there's you know passively cooled GT ten thirties, so I, those are twenty yeah. watts. So I don't see why not. But yeah, so the answer to everything you're saying is this is possible, and I would really love it if this was explored. But I, I'm going to be the biggest barrier here is power usage by far. I'm not even that worried about the cooling. You can figure that out somehow. I really think you need to support up to like, if we're being entirely honest, you'd want to support up to 25 watts for this to make any sense that you can actually put in something that's as stronger than you're going to fit in an APU. To an extent, I think um, if you wanted something like this, it would need to at least get up to mid-range performance though, because I don't know who this is for then, because I don't think there's a person that, there are, I don't think there are many people that are super interested in having a hot swappable MX350. <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, the fact that it's this small of a form factor, though, means you could still fit it in thin and lights. I would be interested, but most people probably not. Yeah, most people know. All right, so let's look at the rest of these wrap-up stories. I don't think we need to go into this, but there's a Keanu Reeves sex mod for Cyberpunk, so I had to just point that out because it's hilarious. And then speaking, yeah. speaking of, which that happens all the time, remember in Beyond Two Souls, uh, there's an Ellen Page sex was- mod. I don't, I don't know if that was a mod. I think someone, but he just like... Oh, that's right. They just took figured, the files out of the system. Yeah. And then put it on PC. She was not yeah. happy. Uh, and then Tesla gets Navi 23. Again, not much to add there. Um, makes Aside sense. from, for some reason, Elon Musk tweeted out a picture of a Tesla with the, <laughs> the Witcher 3 on it. <laughs> I don't know why he did that, but honestly, the biggest thing I would have to add to the Navi 23 and site and uh, I said cyberpunk cars and uh, Tesla's is that it's been misreported for clickbait reasons by WCCF tech and others that this is a PS5 performance level. I mean, how dumb do you get, guys? You think Navi 23 is as strong as the PS5? The PS5 is basically a 256 bit version of 
Navi 22. I mean, come on. The PS5 has more compute units than Navi 23, right? Yes. So, so yeah, I don't know what the argument is. They're like, it's is. almost the same. They they jump through a lot of mental hoops to come to that conclusion, but that's how they get clickbait. It, the fact of the matter is they just wanted to be able to put PS5 in the title so it would show up on any search for PS5. Yeah. That's definitely what it was. Um, and I guess the last thing to mention in this wrap-up of you know rapid-firing going through other articles that we don't think deserve to be a main story is uh, the Xbox Gold doubling in price. I mean, that is gaming-related. That was kind of an... I don't want to dwell on it, but we do just need to give a mention to, like, Microsoft doubled the price of gold and then backtracked overnight. That's really indecisive. And to me, signals... Again, these this division isn't making money. That's why they did it yeah. so drastically, guys. This division is not making money, and they just tried to overnight double the price of Xbox Gold, which is insane to me because I think they just need to have the balls to say gold's gone, buy Game Pass. <clears throat> which I think it, to an extent is also what the, this was trying to do, where like by doubling the price of gold, you can get Game Pass Ultimate. And you're only spending sixty dollars a year now more than you would have been than you would have been with the new price of Xbox Gold, and you get all of these free games. But uh, yeah, I, I think there's something going on inside Microsoft right now. There, they are very, very indecisive, and I don't know. I don't know. I mean, not Microsoft as a whole. There's something very indecisive going on in Xbox specifically right now. Yeah, and I, I, I don't want to dwell on it just because I think I've talked about a lot of the stuff I've been hearing within the Xbox division to death in previous episodes. I mean, listen to previous episodes. I mean, I mean, the, but in summary, the fact of the matter is, is they're not turning a profit with Game Pass, and this is it's yeah. proof right there, guys. And that there has been repeated, not lately, but a couple, few years ago, there were repeated threats within Microsoft that we just need to kill this division. So... That's just yeah. that's all I have to say, right? Um, final, which again, look up uh, previous statements by their current CEO. By the way, if you don't believe me, <laughs> it's public information. Um, final reader mails. Here we go. Vi Pass writes in and says, "What is your thoughts on if or when Nvidia were to re-release Turing cards back into the market during these production shortfalls and to help satiate demands?" Well, they just did. It turns out, by the way, with like that was like a ten ten though, wasn't it? No, that's Pascal. Right? That's Pascal. Oh, wait. Yeah, never mind. Sorry. Uh, yeah, they did, though. <laughs> no, with the uh, Turing. No, they relaunched the restarted production on the 2060 in 2060 oh. Supers or something. And they're not lowering the MSRP at all. I, they don't have to. I don't know what else to say. Like, yeah, I, I'm sure they can sell it at what, what's the 2060's MSRP? Like 300 or something like that? The 2060? Yeah. 350. 350. Yeah, so I more know. than a thirty sixty. Although, guys, again, like I said earlier, guys, the thirty sixty is not going to be three thirty. Yeah, it's going to be like four. But you went on a secret. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing sells for MSRP anymore. Yeah, so uh, I mean, what would I say is I thought it would have been a good idea to produce the twenty seventy underclock it. I mean, honest to God, what I would have done is just start producing. Yeah, like uh, G, what is it, TU116, which is what the 1660 Ti was. I would just start producing that and 
like launch it as the GTX or the GT3030 or something. Like, and then there you go. There's a six gigabyte card you can sell for like 180 to satiate yeah. some level of demand. And then, yeah, maybe also produce uh, TU106, which is the 2070, and then sell that at for 250 with eight gigabytes of RAM instead of 12. I mean, I think that would have been a good idea and just call that whatever, right? The 3040 or something. Um, but it, it doesn't, I don't know. Then nah, I just keep selling it as the 2070 and lower the price actually is what I would do. Yeah, I'm not, a, I'm a, not a huge name. fan of the of the rebadging of cards. It's just just keep selling it for what it is. And like that's, I don't know, that's what AMD did with, with uh, Polaris for a while. Yeah, so I mean, in short, I mean, I think they should have, but eh. <laughs> yeah. instead they're reproducing thir- uh, 2060s and selling them for the original price. Uh <laughs> Uh, Blokes writes Ooh. in with a couple of links here, and he says apparently some of the 3100s, the Ryzen R3 3100s, were a dual CCD chip that may or may not be modeled to have the second one unlocked for more cores. And he, he just wants us to know that, that there may be R3 3100s out there you can unlock cores in. And also, I would just like to point out that Ajisa 1.0. features a vaccine against dual CCD 5600Xs and 5800Xs. First batch had a bunch, as far as I'm aware, potentially hamping your future ability to unlock the disabled CCD and play around with it. So don't update to those versions if you have one, unless you don't care. Not sure when you would have said this, Tom, but I thought people should know. So I I just thought I'd read it near the end of the episode because that is kind of a PSA. Like there could be 5600Xs you can unlock to more cores. How many more cores would that unlock? Could unlock to maybe like eight cores. Yeah, so from yeah, six to eight. If you have it, I guess I guess it's worth mentioning trying if you feel comfortable. Yeah. Uh, more Balar one thousand twenty four writes in. Hi Tom, I've been following you since the beginning. First gen i seven lasted me for over ten years before I changed to Zen two. Top of the line AMD Hawaii GPU serves me to this day as well and runs every game I play at 1080p 60 or better. Yeah, it probably does. Will the 3700X also last me for 10 years? Will my next card last for eight years or will things finally start getting much cheaper and much better? I like upgrading, but it doesn't make sense considering the current prices and performance. In the older days, I used to change everything every three years. And me and Dan used to as well. I never thought the Radeon 7 would last this long, but who knows how long it'll last me with how prices are going. Um, I mean, I would say the 3700X could last you 10 years to a certain degree, considering you're still making do with an 8-thread i7. Um, yeah. But, I mean, I, I mean, it'll still run games for a while, uh, for a very long time, probably way above 30 hertz. And, I mean, I don't know, just looking at, like, Hawaii, I'm sure still works fine. Uh, I'm trying to think of what performance level that's at. So kind of like a 570 or something. Yeah, I mean, you're not that far away from a Series S, so I'm sure it's still running plenty of games, 1080p, 60, fine. Um, Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, will your next card last you eight years? It's just so hard for me to say. But if you were to do the same thing as like the equivalent of the 290X, if you get full RDNA 3, I think it'll last a long time. (laughs) Yeah, and if you like... I, I honestly I wouldn't upgrade right now even with what he has because especially if you're just still playing in 1080p who cares but um I don't know once the, if if the market gets ever gets a little less crazy you could do a pretty huge upgrade to a 4k 60 system working on uh, 20 maybe I, 
yeah, next year and when the uh, market will essentially be saturated at 4K. <laughs> Going from 1080p 60 to 4K 120, you would be pushing out eight times the pixels per second. Oh, hell yeah, bro. All those pixels. It's a lot of pixies, boy, as we call them. Dr. Yep. Foreman writes him, Tom, Dan, why do you let fanboys trigger you? I mean, do what they do. Uh, oh, I mean, they do what they do to trigger a reaction. So just ignore them. Um, you know, I, I do ignore them most of the time. What you're not seeing is how often I am. <laughs> but I mean, I, I thought I actually thought about it legitimately. Uh, the truth, I just care about the truth. And I, I really do care about people hearing the truth and not letting bias warp their views. It's just, it's just, I'm not saying I'm necessarily making the right call, but if you're wondering why it gets to me is it's because I, it is a pet peeve of mine when people let these biases warp their perception, you know? And, and it, it, it just bothers me. This why I started this channel because of it. So if you're like, why do you let them get to you? Well, there wouldn't be a channel unless it did. And it's just when you look at, if you like look at online forums, and I know this isn't the most important thing uh, when it comes to disinformation. These people are just spreading mis and disinformation constantly. And some people like, do listen to them. Yeah, like you, like you read uh, stories about like the consoles, you read uh rabid Sony and Xbox fanboys just straight up lying about the system and then there's people Did you know that... the PS5's already in a four, Dan? <laughs> like those types of dumb comments? Or, uh, uh, yeah, go on. I don't want to get into it. Uh, I am going to get triggered. I don't know. <laughs> it's just like you see somebody say, well, actually, I heard the PS4's uh, solid state drive actually has a, a full get, uh, terabyte on it. and uh, Oh, yeah, the PS5 yeah. one. You mean, yeah, that was one we always heard. Does the PS5 actually have a terabyte? No. They said yeah, it doesn't. And, and then there's like a, a line of comments. There, It has like 20 likes and a line of comments of people that were like, oh, that makes sense. And no, it doesn't make sense. So just, I don't know. if I, I think that's more of a, per, the person is misinformed. But yeah, still, most of the time. It, I, I don't know. It, if you're going to make a purchase, it's best if you're making an informed decision and a bunch of fanboys or people that just don't read enough uh, spread disinformation constantly. Well, and you know, like one thing I would say is at a certain point, just having a podcast or a YouTube channel or what have you, it, you're addressing your fan base, you're addressing your viewership. And your what you address is based on, you know, what they say, what they're reading. And I would say to a certain degree, us addressing fanboys comes from the fact that unfortunately, it seems like a significant portion of viewers are fanboys. And so if I don't address them, I mean, it's frustrating. It's a balance. What do you address? What don't you? But you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, so it's almost like, well, how do I not if like, 10%, 20% of them are fanboys. Yeah, and I don't know. It's important to address it because, I don't know, every every online community, uh, there is a pretty substantial portion of people that are fanboys of one thing or another, and they're, they usually uh, just destroy conversations. Yeah, well, you know what, Dan? That's about all I have to say. Uh, we've gotten through it all. The stories actual physical reader mails, then the final digitized ones here at the end. Is there anything else you wanted to discuss, you want to talk about? Any last words? 
Um, no, I don't think so. Well, I think I'm pretty exhausted. Uh, we had to record this later. Well, earlier, but later than in a more tired state than usual due to Dan's schedule. You know what? We're just trying to sling that sick tent for you guys. So get that tent out. Get that tent out, bro. So just remember that this is only made possible by our patrons. We're trying to grow this year into a much larger. I mean, again, look at the growth from 2019 to 2020, the increase in content and quality. We're trying to do that level of growth again this year, but we can't do it without getting to a substantial Patreon base so that there's a steady income to pay uh, 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 just a, a better team. So remember that. Remember, if you do, you get early ad-free access to Broken Silicon. You get the exclusive podcast like Die Shrink, the ability to submit reader mails and telegrams to guests on air. And uh, I don't know, a large community of people in the Discord who'd like to meet you. you know, people say we say, I don't know, way too much, Dan. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> just remember to support us on Patreon and thank you for listening, everybody. Goodbye. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website, Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. And at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Law's Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Matthew McMullen, Telos, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lennon Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Al-Kawari, Frederick Cloud, James Crasta, Justin Page, Zachary Martin, Darren Herod, Brad Medlin, Phil S, Courtney Elliott, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, Josh Law, JBG, Travis Gooding, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo King Kilo, Fatboy Deesru, Daniel Hyde, Rad Dad, Tara Reed, Jack O'Neill, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, Sean Balmer, My Name Is Nobody, Robert, Alethros, Telos, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchuk, J- Ivan 214, John Jameson, Benjamin Cannon, Matthew Lane, Dividing Symbol, Jan Rauner, Robert Ducks, Drita Full, Allie Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Sean Grant, Evan Dingle, Dominique 
Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, HardForum.com, Sam MacArthur's Total Silo, Sol Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Gary Baldino, Endless Loggins, Tom Sanfilippo, Justice Brennan, Viking R., Trevor Powers, Stu, Alenia, Nanyan, Daniel Nishbal, Franco Frederick, Hardware Numbers, Alex Carcillo, Dark Rain 2049, Layton Perry, Joseph Caraman, Carlos Valdez, Carnivore Bear, Luca, Sabres Ever, Zlicky, Matt Porcheggy, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Garrett Garanadin, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canos Jr., Christopher Foster, Kiwi Phil, Joaquin Megan, Sarah Light, Anthony Gareffa, Matthew Griffin, Alex, Joseph Loria, Luis Correa, Deke, Cheesy Ramen, Raul Ebeneni, Tim Robbins, Shake Two, 23, Brian Riggleman, Chris Williams, Ryan Deniskew, Dave McCoy, Falco Malev, Gabe Langner, Paul B., Morton Svensson, Andrew, Thomas Summers, Maurice Courtois, Matthew J. Link, Scott Reifschneider, Mai Sharona, Aaron, Roman, Jacob Stankiewicz, Jack Pym, Wakir Khan, Eshul Dar Epstein, Stefan Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Charles Antoine Futeau, Peter Moore, Chris Licata, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, James Kitchens, Kevin Chen, Shakir, Dean Despotsky, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, and Arpit Sharma. And of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs> 